This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. And happy new week. Ha! It's a whole new week, folks. Luckily, it's probably a shorter week for most. You know, you got Thursday, the big turkey day. Friday, the day of darkness when you have to go shopping. You don't have to. But, you know, you get to go fight people in line for great deals. It's a great week. And then Monday, of course, uh, today, we've got Joe Cannon will be joining us. Our political insider, our Washington insider, we haven't talked to him for a couple weeks. He's been very busy, but uh, we're going to be talking about what's going on in politics because you don't hear, uh, you know, as much focus from the the um, from the national, you know, cable stations about the the candidates right now. I mean, they're making their mistakes. They're saying their silly stuff about terrorism, but man, when they shifted to terrorism. And foreign policy, holy cow, all of a sudden we didn't have to listen to every single thing that these candidates were saying. So it's kind of been a nice break. We kind of do, though. Well, I mean, they're Tr- saying stuff. Trump's but- talking about people in New Jersey cheering 9-11, but no one can find any reports or evidence or news or anywhere, anyone talking about it, but he insists it happened. Oh, sure. Chris Christie won't say it didn't happen. <laughs> no, it's his state and he was there. Yeah. But see, so there's stuff like that that happens. So, you know, people making comments and yeah. then trying to maybe walk them back a little bit. And, well, that, uh, that's the great benefit of what's happening is we can actually go focus on Brussels and actually have real news. Then we have many of the candidates, GOP. Uh, you don't hear much from the Democrats. No. In fact, like, I, think that, I think they have a collective yeah. uh, just sort of strategy of uh-huh. just let everything else be very, very quiet. Yeah. Let's not mess this up. And the GOP just goes at each other. But we don't. We only hear it kind of as a second story. Like, oh, now yes. Carson wants everybody to have a record. It's not the lead. Yeah. It's supporting the lead. Track yeah. everyone. Exactly. So now they're all support supporting actors. Mm. Joe Cannon, we're going to just pick his brain. Find out what's going on. Is Mitt Romney really going to get in the race? We're going to find that out. Because he's now being polled. In New Hampshire, and he's polling pretty well. Now, New Hampshire is his hometown, so he should poll well there. But it also might say a lot about our candidates. And uh, Cruz, he's cruising. Cruz is going up in the polls. As Carson drops, Cruz goes up. Who'd have thunk it? I think it's his prayer team. I guarantee it's his prayer team. That's an interesting development. (laughs) But if you were – honestly, if you had a really, really, really long shot at being president and you were a faithful Christian, wouldn't you get a prayer team? It, it plays to the evangelical base. I'd even get a fasting team. I'd get a sacrifice – animal sacrifice team. <laughs> Just I'd cover all your bases? it could take. <laughs> now, that's Old Testament. We don't need to go there. Hey, um, <laughs> so sad – uh, put up the Christmas tree. Well, I haven't put it up. We bought a new Christmas tree. A new? In a box. Fake Christmas tree? Okay. Yeah. We're too, you know why? 
Because we because are too worried about the environment. Yeah, right. My wife got tired of vacuuming for, from the tree. So Is we that, just got a yeah. artificial tree. But we had an artificial tree that we paid $65 for, I don't know, about 14 years ago. Uh-huh. And it was it was tired. Yeah. It gets a point where you have to replace the we're sell, artificial We're going to sell it. Now, what, yeah. we, what we're hoping to do is sell it for $65. That would be beneficial. Yeah. You'd get your money back. Yeah. I mean, it looks pretty good. It's just the, the arms are tired. But not good enough for you. No. Not good enough for us. We are way into Christmas. I also put my lights on my house. Oof. You know how some people like put strands of lights all over their house? Yeah. So they have like thousands of lights on the Do you outside. have that one sad string just no. across the front and no. the droops on the end? No, I wouldn't even do that. A couple lights are out. We have we have like floodlights on our house. Um, I don't know how to explain it. Just big floodlights that light up the house. Right. Just so everybody can see this is where Matt lives. But all we did was- Showcase. Well, on the house, we have like eight lights. So I just interspersed green- and red lights. So my house is now green and red. So it's like the White House when they exactly hit the place with colors depending yeah. on the weather. And I they're... thought the White House did huh. that because they were so you know cool. But I found out it's just a lot easier. It it's is. easier to put eight lights up than strands of lights. Absolutely. So I did it, and my kids are like, one of my my sons like, can't we can't we just put normal lights up? You're like, do you want to do it? And it's so hard. I feel so bad for I, our youngest. I put lights on my parents' house. Mm-hmm. Therefore, there are no lights on my house. Oh, that was nice of you. So if my – well, they like to have lights. And, yeah, and you're a good guy. You're yeah. willing to risk your life. I'm up there on a ladder. So my, my son told my, told my wife he wants lights on the house. <laughs> and I said, just tell him there are lights on grandma's house. We'll go look at those. Why don't – but you should do it for your boy. No. I mean, you're, he's, he's your boy. I'm not hanging off my house to put up lights. You know what else? I don't even have a ladder. So I have to borrow a ladder. That's the other thing. It was a hard weekend. <laughs> it's a lot of effort. It's a lot. And then I had to go find one light. There was one light I needed, one light, and it's a different size than the rest. And I went to four stores. Tis the flipping season. <laughs> I was so mad. <laughs> I couldn't find one light. I just needed one light. Yeah. And I'd look at these punks, these young, oh, they're hiring young people right now. Oh, yeah. I was Holiday mad. hires? Absolutely. Like, do you have this one kind of light? And he looked at me like, what? What, sir? I think the shopping carts are up front, sir. Yeah. And he kept saying, no, we have, these, we have strands of lights. And then you, here's – no, I don't – never mind. Is your boss here? <laughs> this, was someone here – I need to talk to someone that was here last year. They're like, no one was here last year, sir. <sighs> Whatever. I don't want to be negative. But I don't like. But Christmas. you found a way to get around that with your big floodlights of Christmas I joy. I do that every year. A green light, and then half a red the, light. I feel like half the neighbors envy me, and half the neighbors think I'm kind of white trash. Mm-hmm. So I only talk to half. Talk to those that like you. It's exactly what I do, which is what's neat. Uh, Joe Cannon and the GOP. That's a lot of what goes on. We all just kind of focus on what we like. It works. But you got to focus on both sides of the equation. I got to like the ones I like and you know, talk to the ones I don't like. Actually, I like all my neighbors, but I think they're tired of me. Um, here's the deal uh, today as well. After uh, we'll be speaking with Joe Cannon, but later in the show, um, in hour number two, we've got some other great guests on decision making. We'll get to that. Hour number three, we'll be talking about um, the holiday season, how to like, not lose you know, 
how to not lose the holiday cheer and spirit. How to keep your head about you. Don't put lights on your house. Yeah. You stay happy. I'm excited for the eggnog. It's in the fridge. Have you already got some? My wife bought some. Yeah. Oh, I love it. What are you doing? She goes, well, do you have to have eggnog at Thanksgiving? I go, since when? She goes, since always. Like, All right. So you got a good wife. Uh, and what, by the way, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? Both parents yeah, and yeah. in-laws on the same day. So yeah. two Thanksgivings. How about you, Ben? Benjamin? You're going somewhere. Yeah, I'm going to my aunt's house. Where's that? In Bountiful. Oh, my heavens. Sounds bountiful. That's going to be great. I'm going to St. George, where it's supposedly warm, but it's actually freezing. Yeah. And uh, the scary thing is there's going to be storms, so I may not even get there. El Nino. El Nino, the little child. (laughs) Killing me again. Let's go to the headlines, find out if there's anything else going on around the world. Terry? Thanks, Matt. A suspected Paris attacker remains a large Monday, despite the intense capital manhunt by Belgian police that virtually shut down the European Union's capital over the weekend. Authorities said 16 people were arrested and at least 22 raids carried out across Brussels. On Sunday, in an attempt to take down a terrorist ring believed to be behind the November 13th Paris attacks, Belgian federal prosecutors said no weapons or explosives were found during the raids. At least three of the nine Paris suspects were based in Brussels. The prime minister announced Brussels will remain in the highest level of terror alert on Monday, which means that the metro, schools, and universities will remain closed today. Over the weekend, the United Nations Security Council unanimously passed a resolution urging countries to take all necessary measures to fight the Islamic State. A 15-0 vote included Russia, which the Daily Mail today reports destroyed 472 ISIS targets on 141 bombing missions in Syria over the weekend as they intensify their campaign. While discussing how to respond to acts of terror and the country's state of readiness in case of attack, Donald Trump says he would bring back waterboarding during an interview on ABC's This Week. Well, we have to be strong. You know, they don't use waterboarding over there. They use chopping off people's heads, and we're talking about waterboarding. So you bring back waterboarding? I would bring it back, yes, I would bring it back. I think waterboarding is peanuts compared to what they do to us. Trump also talked about stepping up surveillance on mosques and blocking any Syrians from entering the country. The latest CBS poll of likely Iowa Republican primary voters has Donald Trump back in front of the GOP field with 30 percent. Ted Cruz has surged to second with 29 and Ben Carson slid to third with 19 percent. Cruz is ahead among very conservative and Trump leads Cruz, uh, Cruz, excuse me, Cruz by just two points among evangelical voters. Don't call him that. I know. Nearly one quarter of Carson voters switched to support Ted Cruz. Oh, wow. According to New Orleans police, 16 people injured after gunfire broke out at a uh, Benny Friend playground in the city's Ninth Ward. An impromptu music video was being filmed at the park, and officers were already on their way to break up the crowd when gunfire broke out. Police believe multiple suspects fired into the crowd of more than 300 people. Emergency personnel took 10 people to the hospital by ambulance and another six made their way to treatment by other means. Detectives are currently surveilling, using surveillance cameras and other footage to try to figure out exactly what happened. And in sports, the Golden State Warriors tie the NBA all-time record for wins to begin a season of 15, knocking off the Denver Nuggets 118-105. The Warriors tie the 1948-49 Washington Capitals and the 1993-94 Houston Rockets for the best start to the season. Do you remember the Bulls when they were just taken off? Yeah, it was about 92, I believe. But their their record to this point was 12 and 2. Yeah. This is crazy. And this is these don't they're just the Warriors are incredible, but they're not like they're just a bunch of average-looking guys, average kind of guys, but they play so deep and they play so well. Except for the one guy. 
except for the one guy. Stephen Curry is head and shoulders yeah. figuratively because he's kind of short. Yeah, but head that's and it. I mean, he just is this, this, you know. But you watch relaxed. Look, they'll, they'll take shots from anywhere on the floor. I know it's really ridiculous. I saw some uh, videos, and they're wondering if this is trickling down to high school. As this video of this high school team, where Those these guys are just shooting threes from Whoa. everywhere, not coming close, not yeah. you know, not no, even trying an offensive scheme of any type. And you it's wait like, till this- you coach. So I coached little league basketball. This is how little league players have been playing forever. They've always been shooting threes from everywhere. I'm open. I used to tell my kids, "You're not allowed to shoot a three. I wouldn't let anybody shoot a three because only one guy on the team could even hit the rim. Yeah, but they all wanted to try. Of course, that's the hero when you yeah. can nail that shot. I I think it's cool. It's a really fun thing. And Stephen Curry, what a great guy. He's just a great guy. Just He's the kind of kid you'd want your kids to be. Cool stuff. Uh, We'll be, uh, I'm sure, talking about this every game. I think they play the Lakers next, which is a big deal. Lakers would love to, you know, blow that up. We um, And by the way, that's the record. They're going for the record. 16 straight wins. First time, by the way, a national championship champion from last year. Goes 15 and 0. Unbelievable. We will take a break, my friends. When we come back, Joe Cannon will be joining us, our Washington insider. We're going to be talking all things political coming up in just a bit. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, you following much the politics of uh, the GOP and the Democratic Party? Bunch of people running for president, and we, uh, we now we have to see them all posture in another direction. With the attacks in Paris, come a lot of uh, foreign policy discussions, right? Terrorism, safety, security, borders are now back in play. And it, uh, it's changed the game a little bit. We wanted to bring in our Washington insider, Joe Cannon. Joe was a chairman of the Utah Republican Party uh, from 2000 to 2006. He was also a candidate for the U.S. Senate and also served as an assistant administrator of the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency from 83 to 85 uh, under Reagan and uh, was also the editor of the Intermountain uh, Deseret News. And uh, we, we just enjoy having Joe here. Uh, he's online with us to, to teach us whatever he can. Give us kind of the scuttle on what he hears going on back in Washington. Joe, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. You bet. Good to have you back. Hey, uh, Joe, uh, what, do you, what do you think about, you know, ever since the Paris bombings, it seems like the, uh, maybe the GOP, now they're in a seat they really feel more comfortable in. The protection of America yeah, yeah. seat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's uh, there's been a lot of overreaction uh, actually on both sides. Yeah. Of it. But but having having said that, um, I, I think the Republicans collectively um, have making a pretty strong claim that they're the party that can protect America best. Uh, turns out, nine eleven did happen you know, under Republican watch. But, right. But, uh, but having said that, it's pretty clear that whether that's true or not, it is true that uh, the got all the Republicans are are taking that position that we can, you know, we can uh, uh, protect you better. 
Yeah. It seems like the Huffington Post still makes it very clear that ISIS was created because of the hawkish GOP. But um, want to know? I want to know what you think. Where do you think this is going to go? It seems like uh, Carson is fading, and uh, Trump is able now. He has a lot of fodder to talk stronger, and you know everything from we need to basically start waterboarding again to we need a register a registry for Muslims. I mean, where do you think this is going to go? So uh, in terms of the, the Republican candidates, uh, yeah, I think, you know, a few weeks ago we talked about it being a four-person race, basically Trump, Carson, Rubio, and Cruz. And I think we're moving toward a three-person race, uh, Trump, Rubio, and Cruz. And, of course, lots of people hope that it becomes a two-person race, just Cruz mm. and Rubio, or at least, well, whether they like Cruz or Rubio, there's plenty of people who really don't want Trump to do uh, right. You know, to, to stay in there. Do, do you? I mean, we keep hearing this scuttle that um, that you know the GOP, you know, uh, what do they call them? Establishment and the the deeply entrenched backers in the GOP that they're going to start a concerted effort to take Trump out to negatively advertise against him. Do you sense that's coming? Do you sense that will happen? Or what would the repercussions be? Well. Uh, Part of that's not speculation at all. Uh, uh, one of these independent pacts, which everyone argues, and I think legally and most of the time it's true, they don't coordinate. But uh, one of the pacts that's very strongly supporting Kasich has already said it's going to come out, and they've got you know big ad budget. Hmm. Uh, I don't remember exactly if they're going to just go in Iowa or in New Hampshire, but they're already planning. Uh, you know, a spate of negative ads on uh, Trump to try to bring his numbers down. The, the problem is, uh, you know, he's, he's, uh, he is the de- – sometimes politicians get called the Teflon person, you know. Yeah. The, the attacks don't seem to it, – it's, it's different with, with um, uh, Trump. It's like what doesn't kill us strengthens us. Every time <laughs> someone attacks him, uh, he seems to get stronger. Right? Yeah. Well, every time he does a ridiculous thing, he seems to get stronger. Um, well, and he does. And it's I mean, and again, it doesn't have to even be legitimate what he's saying. It just has to be strong. You know, somebody has to it sounds like that's what the, the, a lot of people are looking for is somebody that just is talking strong against ISIS or talking. Right. right. Yeah. Or, so, or against the so-called politically correct crowd. So he he's since he's given himself that label, he's free to say all things that are you know, things that are not politically correct. But some of the things he says are, may, maybe they're not politically correct, but they're still stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, yeah, okay, you're right, you win, you're not politically correct. But, you know, you're still a narcissistic, insecure schoolyard bully. Yeah, I mean, and, and you see that with some of the hecklers that come in, he just blows them up, I mean, he just bullies them out. Even one protester yeah. was roughed up, Uh and he even Donald said he was actually hurt, you know, beaten. And Donald made a comment that you know maybe he should have been roughed up even more. No, he's he can't he can't. Well, I say he can't help himself. I don't know. Part of it's true. I think he can't help himself. Yeah, I mean, some of it I don't. You think? When, he's, yeah, it's just him when, being done. When Carson Cruz, you know, crept up a little bit on the polls and, and beat him a little bit uh, in Iowa, he, he called the Iowa voters stupid. You're mm. stupid. You know, well, 
somehow it hasn't hurt him very much. Yeah. Do you do you sense with this new focus on terrorism, what's going on in um, in Paris, in Brussels, in Mali? Do do you see? I mean, it, it seems like uh, it allows kind of more of this this context that the U.S. isn't safe. Everyone's kind of waiting for something to happen in the U.S. now, and I'm assuming that this plays better into the GOP. Uh, chances um, during this 2016 race? Well, I, I mean, in general, over over decades of elections, uh, Republicans are perceived as stronger on national defense than Democrats are. Again, whether that's true or not, I, I, it's not important. It's that that is the perception, and, and for sure the Republicans are going to be, you know, promoting that to the maximum extent possible right but as as among the republicans themselves i except for trump using it as hey i'm i i you know he may not say i'm a schoolyard bully which is what he is kind of a fifth grade thug but um but he's saying you know it gives him it, it enhances his chances to say i'm tough you know i'm really tough you can you know that i'm tough you know and and so it probably helps him. I don't think it helps any other candidate in particular. Yeah. Does what is it? Why have we heard so? It seems like so much silence from the Democratic side. Well, I I don't know about Democrats in general, but the you know the candidates and really there's really we don't even need to talk about all of the candidates anymore. It's just Hillary. But when Hillary speaks. She is on this issue and lots of issues. She's trying to situate herself in that side of her constituency that is kind of the Bernie Sanders, mm-hmm. uh, Obama base, and that base has a has a hard time. I and mean, you know, she she won't say the words Islamic terrorism, but she will say jihadism, as though jihad is somehow not an Islamic term or uh, not an Islamic concept. But, uh, they just wrap themselves all up in, in some effort to be um, kind of politically correct, so to speak, on on that issue. So, you know, they're, they're, they're not helping themselves by having an internal debate about what you could even call uh, the adversaries here. Yeah, so, this, yeah, this they is... don't seem to be, you know, they don't seem to be resonating on this subject with... Um, with uh, republic with the uh, uh, public, yeah, it also. I mean, it seems like she's going to have to differentiate herself eventually, or at least decide where she fits in relation to Obama's position. And is she is she going to break away and start overtly saying she's she would have a different approach, or is she going to continue the same Obama policies that she? I mean, well, on, she was the actually, secretary. On this, on this issue, she has tried a little bit to say, you know, like behind the scenes, I was a little more hawkish than the president. So this is the one area that terrorism attacks have given her a little bit of an opening to say, look, in all the internal debates, I was more hawkish than the president. And she has kind of said that. Now, yeah. But, but she's, in not a, attack, yeah. she's not going to attack the president. No. Especially not yet, right? Because she wants to get to the general election before she has to start moving but, back to center. A lot of people, a lot of candidates. Um, that's exactly that's exactly what happens. They move left or they move right, and in the, in the primaries, and they move back toward the center. 
uh, in her case, she can never really go back to the center because if she does that, she loses the Obama coalition constituency. Now, when I say loses, they're not going to vote for Republicans, but they might not come out and vote at all. And she has to have that's right very strong turnout in the Obama constituency coalition, or she can't win. So you're you're not going to see her moving radically back to the center. She is probably going to try to differentiate herself on the on a few points, but you know. There are already hundreds of 30-second spots that she's created by how she's supported um, the, the president right now. Mm. No, it's so true, you, yeah. You know, and and the foreign yeah. policy, you know, she's an owner of the foreign policy, the Obama foreign policy, because she was, you know, Secretary of State. Well, you wouldn't think it's tough for the Secretary of State of any administration <laughs> to somehow then differentiate him or herself from her boss during that time. Uh, yeah, you'd think that. On the other hand, she she was uh, for the uh, trade pact before she was against it. That's right. She was, she was for Keystone before she was against it, both, both of which were squarely in her bailiwick at, uh, at State. So, huh. you know, she, she somehow pulled off and decided that what was the gold standard of trade agreements all of a sudden is bad for America now. Oh boy, here we go. It's gonna. This is where it's gonna get a little crazy. So, so it's gonna be tough for her to, both on the merits and politically, to differentiate herself very much. Yeah. From uh, President Obama. Well, let's do this, Joe. Let's take a break come, and uh, come back and talk a, a little bit about. I keep hearing, you know, that possibly a Mitt Romney might uh, make a play or at least prepare for a play at the convention. Um, I want to talk to you about that and also a poll that came out that, which, that shows him, I guess, leading in New Hampshire if, uh, if he did step into the race right now. Stick with us, folks. We'll continue this discussion with our Washington insider, Joe Cannon. You can find out more about Joe and his work at Fuel Freedom Foundation, trying to lower the cost of fuel for those in the United States um, and North America. Fuelfreedom.org is the website. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, joining us on the phone is our Washington insider, Joe Cannon. Joe is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which is an organization that is trying to lower the cost of fuel for those in the United States. You can go find out more about uh, the work they're doing there at fuelfreedom.org. Uh, Joe also is our Washington insider. He's in the know. He's constantly back in Washington doing what he can to, uh, you know, help us out fuel-wise. But uh, Joe, thanks again for being with us. It's great being here. You got anything anything fun planned for Thanksgiving? Just uh, family. Uh, one of our daughters-in-law is expecting a child uh, right around that time. And oh, wow. So my wife might be taken up with those kind of duties. So, yeah. Uh, but we'll see. <laughs> well, good. C- congrats to them and you. Um, what? How many grandchildren does that make, Joe? Um, so we have uh, that, shoot, uh, that that grandchild will be our 16th, and we have two more on the way. Holy cow. In the, in the next 
two months, we'll have 18 grandkids. Yeah. Man. Yeah, I don't think of myself as quite that old, but. Yeah, you're getting up there now, what Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Um, you still ride your bike to work, for crying out loud. Hey, here's here's something that we read in the Washington Post. It says, according to other Republicans, some in the party establishment are so desperate to change the dynamic that they are now talking anew about drafting Romney, despite his insistence that he will not run again. Friends have mapped out a strategy for the late entry to pick up delegates and vie for the nomination in the in a convention fight. According to Republicans who were briefed on the talks, though Romney has shown no indication of reviving his interest. I mean, is this plausible? Is this real? Well, there's a lot of talk, actually, yeah, about uh, um, a brokered, so-called brokered convention. But it could just be the the talk of desperation because every, and I don't want to say the Republican establishment, because I don't personally regard myself as a Republican establishment, but most people I know just can't stand the thought of Trump. I mean, Trump, uh, I don't want to say he's the only possibility, but if Trump is one of the few Republicans that, at least today, uh, Clinton beats. Hmm. So uh, the big four... Carson beats her, Rubio beats her, she beats Trump, and she beats Cruz. Hmm. And and so lots and lots of insiders or thoughtful people or just people, you know, follow elections a lot, just are worried to death that some crazy circumstance will occur where the Republican Party nominates Trump and, you know, we uh, they go down in defeat. So... So, hence, the only thing you can think of, is, as long as he appears to be uh, at winning levels, remember, even in the most recent poll, which shows him gaining a little bit, he's only in the 30s. Right, right. Uh, and his average overall is in the, look, in like 20, 27, it's less than 30 anyway. But, you know, 30% can win lots and lots of uh, primaries, as long as you got this whole gaggle of uh, of candidates in there. So... Anyway, the long, long, the short of that long story is, I I was in Washington last week and I did talk to some pretty politically knowledgeable people, and they are thinking, well, you know, maybe against the convention, there's no way Romney gets in in any of the primary fights. He wouldn't do that. He doesn't want to do that. Yeah, that's a lot of work. Yeah, but but you you show up at a convention and all of a sudden you, if you have Trump or somebody who might be able to win. Uh, Romney looks pretty attractive, but it may also be that, that to that to that crowd, so does Rubio and so does Cruz. So that unless Trump walks in with a you know lead pipe cinch lock on on uh, you know more than fifty percent of the delegates, you could see a convention. Hmm. You could see a, you could see for the first time in many 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 years a, a real convention. Man, that would be it would be fun to watch. You know, and especially with Trump playing in the game, because you know he's going to take the gloves off. It's going it yeah, to, no. you know, it'd be like he's, another Ronda Rousey he's, fight. He's the entertainer. That's what he is. He's the entertainer. <laughs> Holy cow! What do you think about? Um, so Ted Cruz is he's really he's coming up, and I guess is it is he just targeting the evangelical? Is that what he's doing? Because he came out with his his prayer group that will now pray for you and. You know, you can make donations, and he, I mean, he's overtly becoming—I don't know what's the word. He's—it's—it it seems like he's 
trying to go after that, the Christian block. Well, and the Christian block is immensely powerful in uh, Iowa. I mean, you, you can see people who've won the Iowa caucus against uh, very strong uh, uh, personalities. Huckabee has won there, Santorum won there, and um, I was going to say President Huckabee and President Santorum both won the Iowa oh, wow. yeah. caucuses. And, uh, you know, it doesn't get you all the way there, but it, it certainly gets you notoriety. And with a guy like Cruz, it gets him a lot of notoriety. It, it seems to me, and I, I don't know that any poll shows this, but as you, but as you look at the decline of, of Carson, you're seeing uh, uh, Cruz. That, that seems to be that, that, that uh, uh, Carson constituency seems to be going in Cruz's direction. Hmm. He's he's moving up. Rubio's moving up, but uh, Cruz is actually moving up a little faster at this point. Yeah, Does... he, he hasn't overtaken Rubio yet, but it, it, it's of the of the actual politicians and potential nominees. I think it's now down. The, the non-Trump team is going to be Cruz and Rubio. Hmm. I mean, again, Bush is in single digits. And down, and and the as they say, the arrows are pointing down, not up for him. Yeah, is it is it? You know, when Bobby Jindal got out, he made a big point to say, "Look, I'm going to get out of the race so that we can have more attention on the real race itself." Um, is is that really an honorable duty? Is it something that Graham and and some of these others could be looking at of getting out of the race to clear up the smoke? So we can actually focus on what's really burning. You know, I don't think I don't think Jindal was at all disingenuous. I think he is an honorable guy and, and really a, a terrifically smart guy. He's been a good governor, uh, and I think he was honest and saying, "Look, I, I, I can't win, and therefore, why not uh, allow more clarity in the whole race?" Well. Uh, mostly, mostly of the folks in there are either in there because of some kind of principle that they believe really strongly in, or they think they can actually win. That lightning can strike. Some bad thing will happen to Carson, Cruz, Rubio, and and uh, Trump, and they'll be just standing there in the wings waiting. But the only person from that's plausible at this point in my mind is Bush, and he's not. That argument's not working at all. Hmm. I mean, it's true. So I, I think, he's not getting I think, anything. I, I think the reason people will drop out is because they uh, simply don't have the money, and and it just at some point they have to say, "Do I really want to spend the next several months in, you know, one, two, four percent, three percent, one, you know, whatever?" They're yeah. All, uh, well, it seems like it would really ruin your holiday <laughs> to know that you got to go to <laughs> Iowa and New Hampshire twenty more times, and you're still pulling, you know, one percent. And you're not getting any traction at all. I, I don't think even this whole crowd that's in there now will go through Iowa, and then certainly after Iowa, you'll have a bunch of them drop out. Uh, Kasich might stay. Who, who knows? Kasich is actually polling fairly well in New Hampshire. Yeah. He, he might say, okay, look, there's no way that I'm going to win Iowa, but, you know, let me let me hang out. And, and that could be a, a Bush would, might think that same thing, too, Bush. Bush has more, a little more traction in, in uh, New Hampshire, but no, we're, we're going to see the wholesale wiping out between, between now and Iowa and certainly after Iowa. It's, 
it's got to be, and I want your take on this as somebody that's run a campaign and has been involved in many campaigns. What's it like to to have a plan going into the whole thing, and then out of the blue have the whole Trump situation come in, and have that be beating you down for six months? And then right when you think maybe there's a strategy, maybe on Trump, then all of a sudden, you know, Paris hits. What's it like being a candidate? And is it hard to stick to your plan or, you know, your overall plan? Or do you just kind of go with the news of the day and just keep using whatever's happening today to your advantage? Yeah, good question. There are really two levels of the plan. One level is the grassroots, the organization the advertising, the targeting, kind of just the mechanics, the the block and tackling of a campaign. And that doesn't change very much no matter what's going on in the atmosphere. What candidates say, their sound bites, how they appear in the public, that's tremendously driven by the day-to-day news cycle. And uh, you can't stick to a plan. You, You know, you can't give a... You can't give a talk on uh, some domestic policy when the entire attention of the world is focused on the tragedy in Paris. So, yeah. Yeah. So, the, so there are two layers of the plan. The plan. One plan is how you project your message. The other is the tactics of of the block and tackling of how you how you get a blocking and tackling of how you get elected. On how you deliver your message, that is very subject to the the whims of the news cycle. I mean, you're, you really are dependent on it. Is Do you get a sense that Trump, from what you're hearing, because it sounds like somebody like Bush's campaign, they had a national campaign ready. You know, they were getting on the ballot in every state. They had organization in every state. Is a Trump that organized? Well, Trump is, of course, as he points out all the time, even though sometimes he sounds pretty stupid, is actually not. Stupid, and and I I don't know I don't have any actual knowledge of uh, Trump land, but he's got to have hired some lawyers who looked at all the uh, election requirements in each of the states, and he just has to have that. So I'm, I'm just presuming that you know a guy who's smarter than everybody in the world is not going to leave that to chance. So right. he's got somebody looking at the ballot requirements and the primary requirements in all the states. Because it seems like a Super that. Tuesday or whatever, uh, that's where you, this could all come unhinged because then you have to really have a national plan and a national format. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a there's a pretty smart political analyst who I, I know and, and like a lot named Stu Rothenberg. Well, one thing, it's really hard to, to sift through all of the noise because – Almost everybody is partisan. Almost everybody has a dog in the hunt. Right. But, but generally speaking, Charlie Cook and Stu Rothenberg are perceived to be pretty honest brokers. Uh, Rothenberg's view is that um, that when you actually have to show up and vote, you might feel the pleasure of a Donald Trump. But if you're a person active enough to vote in a primary, go to a caucus, in either party, you you want to win. You, hmm. you want your candidate to win. Now, now, that's not true with the fringe of all of but the bulk of people want it. So this Rothenberg theory is, yeah, people have the, they'll date uh, Trump a lot, but when it gets right down to the finish line, a lot of them are going to want to uh, elect somebody who can beat Hillary Clinton. And whoever that will be, that will either probably be at this rate, a, tr- uh, a Rubio or a Cruz or whoever's right. standing. 
Yeah. Well, and I think I think it is coming down to Rubio and Cruz. Amazing. Uh, Isn't that amazing? So, I mean, if you had if you had heard that it's going to come down to Trump, Rubio, and Cruz, you, you'd be shaking your head, wouldn't you? With yeah, all those governors well, uh, and. I mean, that, yeah, that, again, that's two senators and, and a crazy rebel. And and uh, you have Governor Scott Walker, Governor George Bush, yeah. Governor John Kasich, Governor uh, Bobby Jindal. Uh, you know, you're just Chris Christie. Yeah. yeah. No, that's crazy. Well, okay, uh, Joe, anything we should be focusing on that we're not out there in the news? No, I think we covered a lot. I mean, right right now the, the whole news is dominated by how we deal with this uh, overall terrorist threat and uh you know there there is kind of a civilization civilizational clash going on here it's been going on you know for about 1300 years yeah and uh it doesn't show much sign of abating anytime soon that's so true and yet we we try to just fix it with our 21st century solutions we'll take care of it go to war or whatever anyway good stuff uh appreciate you joe keep up the good work and uh, good luck to your your daughter-in-law and your future grandchildren that are coming. That's, okay. that's great news. Happy holidays to you, Joe. Thanks. You too, Matt. You Thanks bet. a lot. Take care. Again, Joe Cannon, and uh, you can go look him up if you want to at fuelfreedom.org, doing what he can to uh, help lower your costs at the fuel pump. Good stuff. It's a very good goal for all of us. We'll take a break, my friends. When we come back, uh, do a quick wrap-up of this first hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, when you're just chasing the political world, it seems a little crazy. Who do you follow? Who do you believe? Who do you trust? Of course you want a tough-talking president, right? But you also want him to be, I don't know, savvy, smart. We don't need to make the same mistakes. So... You know, it makes the political process a lot harder. But, uh, it, you know, in fact, there was a pretty good example here locally. You may have heard about – have you ever heard of the company called Overstock.com? They buy, you know, bulk stuff that nobody, I guess, could sell or wants or – I don't know how they do it. But uh, the CEO of the retail website Overstock uh, – the ex-CEO, by the way, is now running for governor here in the state of Utah. And – uh you know, he grew a company, made a lot of money, and now he's going to run for for governor. But the current CEO basically um, said revealed in uh, 2013 that the website Overstock.com uh, owned some precious metals and maybe some Bitcoin that could prove helpful in the case of a shutdown of the banking system. So as a company, this company is now, uh, you know, they're they're starting to put away some money. And they they said that that was a bit of an understatement. Uh, CEO Patrick Byrne tells BuzzFeed that the Utah company actually has about $10.3 million, $6 million in gold, $4.3 million in silver, and it's hidden somewhere in the state so that it can continue to pay employees during an economic collapse. So you wonder how many companies 
you know, have a little supply, a little money storage, a little gold supply, a little Bitcoin action to keep their companies going. It said it also keeps thousands of emergency prepared preparation kits and enough food to feed 2,000 employees and their families for 30 to 60 days. You know, with all the crazy news going on, I wonder how many companies are doing this. This seems like a smart company move. Now, the the CEO says, hey, let's let's get real here. You know, we're not carrying around guns. We're not preppers. We just, you know, just want to be prepared. They're not calling for, you know, a millennium and the Armageddon. Anyway, it's interesting. You wonder if the federal government, how long the federal government could last. If there was just, you know, a little hiccup in the system, could it go 30 days, 60 days? Ben's got a fantastic answer. Ben? I'm guessing about two minutes. Yeah. Give or take 30 seconds. Yeah. Well, it would depend on how quickly the federal uh, – the employees of the federal government could get out of the building. <laughs> well, yeah, two, two and a half minutes. Yeah, that's probably about two yeah. and a half minutes. I mean a good fire well, shouldn't take more than five. Yeah, but then you have some overweight people in there. Tired people. Yeah. So maybe to be, safe five minutes. Let's just give them ten. Yeah. Okay. Well. Oh, well. Maybe you got to worry more about you, huh, at home than your government. Uh, anyway, interesting thing. Sometimes you just wonder, don't you? We are going to take a break. That's hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back next hour talking decision-making and uh, why you feel what you feel during that process. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on this side. Today we got a great... Day for you, great show. Tons of information we'll be throwing at you. Uh, eventually, we're going to get to Rebecca Shiner, who is a professor at Colgate University in New York. She's going to be talking about your decision making and your emotions. Have you ever had a hard time making a decision and then you finally make the decision? Maybe you regret the decision. Well, she's going to be teaching us about the psychology of decision satisfaction, how to feel satisfied with your decision-making process. It's interesting. You know, a lot of people can't decide. Like, I've gone to the store and I just couldn't decide. Ah, this one or this one or this one. Well, it's like your car. Like my car. I you've, still been trying to re- you've been trying to replace that thing for several months now. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to do it <laughs> until I have to. I'm narrowing down the choices, except then I just started a whole new line that I'm like, oh, those might be nice. Yeah. It's, you're, you're paralyzed by, by decision. It's paralysis of analysis. You have so many options that you just don't know what to do. Actually, Or do I, you know what to do? No. I, it's that I hate, I hate buying a car so much that I don't – I'm avoiding it. Just walk in and avoid negotiation. See, but eventually I have to drive a car and I have to drive it for years. And every time I get in, I'll be like, oh, I shouldn't have bought this car. Or you know what I will do? I know. I know no matter what – my son is going to get my car, and I will regret that because I like my car. 
Well, then stay with your car. But then in about a year, I'll have to buy a new one anyway. Why? It's getting old. It's got a lot of miles. But I like it. We'll buy another one just like it. Well, then it'd be old. We'll buy a newer one, but the uh, same car. I know, but the newer ones, I'm not sure I'd be happy with. Like this. What do you want? More cup holders? I need six more cup holders. Okay. I have a lot of cups. A mother-in-law pod off the back so yeah. you can isolate certain family yeah, members? Put my, put my family <laughs> members back there. No, what I want is a car that drives me. I want a car with a driver. Just use Uber. Just have an Uber show up to your house and take you to work. Yeah. Run hear, you around town. I know. I keep hearing weird things about Uber. Well, there's weird things everywhere. That's, I know. See, so what do you do? Uber or just buy a car. I'm just not to the status of Does having driving stress drive. you out? No, it's just I'm, I'd like a nap. Well, then just schedule a nap every day. While I'm driving? No, when you're done driving, go home, take a nap. Go home? 30 minutes, just stop by your house, take a nap, and then head into the, you know your office. Do Man, it that way. You make it sound so simple. Just schedule it. Once it's scheduled, then your whole everything else moves away because you have this time where you go take a nap. I know, but then I got to still have my car issue. So it didn't solve it. Well, it solved your nap problem. Yeah, it totally did. See? Problem I, solved. Oh, believe me, my naps are scheduled. <laughs> I'll have three this morning just to make it through the day. Hey, uh, so we'll be getting to Dr. Rebecca Shiner in just a bit about your decision making. Maybe she'll help psychology. you. Yeah, we should walk her through my problem. Help you pick a car. I'll ask her what kind of car she drives. Ooh. Maybe she wouldn't want to go there. Maybe not. We'll see. Hey, um, did you hear about this poor Colorado bookstore? How would you like your bookstore name to be ISIS? I told you we shouldn't go with ISIS. (laughs) A bookstore in Colorado is being vandalized. At least one person threw rocks through its windows. Why? Because its name happens to be ISIS. Yes, ISIS books and gifts. (laughs) Jeez. And it's been that way for years, the name of this place. Well, Isis is a mythical goddess, right? Yes. And so now all of a sudden, you know, there's a company here in Utah that's called ISI. Mm -hmm. And then it's like ISI Systems or something. There's a pharmaceutical company, has the name Isis. Uh, It used to be one of these uh, automatic payment companies. You'd see them at the checkout at your grocery store. It was Isis. They changed (laughs) their name like to Softcart or something else because of this. They changed it to like Al-Qaeda. Not a terrorist group. (laughs) That's what's so horrible about it is right when you get your branding done, some terrorist group comes in and messes it up. Sheesh. I'd be so mad. You're finally branded. But you know, you go through the grocery store line and you see ISIS. What are they advertising ISIS for at the grocery store? That's what people would think. See, but this has been going That's on why the for book years. Is looking to... There used to be the Black Panther, which was just really it was a you know it was an old neighborhood bookstore. <laughs> Every I mean, all of a sudden, then some group just takes your name. Yeah. Tea Party. Hello. Just stole some group's name. Every... Some group of old ladies that just used to. Have tea parties, and then they've all politicized it. It's horrible. It's so should, should the bookstore change its name, do you think? Well, I would. I would. The Isis is the Egyptian goddess of healing, magic, fertility, and rebirth. Hmm. Even that was probably a bad decision. Probably. <laughs> it's a bookstore. No, we don't want to make fun of their bookstore name, but uh, it's getting you in trouble. I'd probably change it. To um, what's the other word they're using in 
Dash? Dash. Dash books? Dash. <laughs> Hold on. Don't the Kardashians have a Dash store? I don't know. Pretty sure they have a, star, a store called Dash. I don't, I don't watch the show or keep tabs. So. Yeah, right. As much as oh, you Oh, but do. you have the poster on your wall in your no, office. No, I really don't. Oh, don't. Oh, my I don't have an office either. He's so... I have a cubicle. <clears throat> yeah, well, same thing, cube. No, not really. You have um, a door. Have no a door. windows, but still. I have a door on my office. I have a door on my cubicle. Hey, uh, anything going on in the headlines? Let's go to those. There's quite a bit going on. Republican uh, presidential frontrunner Donald Trump would not rule out making a run for president as an independent despite signing a pledge over the summer saying he would support the eventual GOP nominee instead of running for a third-party bid. Here he is on ABC. Well, we'll see what happens. It'll be very interesting, but I'm leading every poll by a lot. It's not even a little bit anymore. It's a lot. I have to be treated fairly. If I'm treated fairly, I'm fine. All I want to do is a level playing field. So as long as he's treated fairly, he'll run as a Republican. I thought we solved this in the summer. That was the point. He said all he got was an assurance that he would be treated fairly. Well, now that other people are talking about, you know, beating him up, He's, he's been be in fair. some campaign ads and some negativity, so he's kind of interesting. Saying, hey, maybe my options are up. He was asked the question; he did not bring it up. So good, good, good. There's that that point yeah. out too. Federal officials say another group of Syrian refugees has turned themselves into immigration authorities along the U.S.-Mexican border. The Department of Homeland Security confirmed Sunday that a group identified themselves to border agents in the South Texas town of Laredo on Friday. They were held to check their identities against national security databases and then turned over to U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement for temporary detention. Their arrival came after two Syrian families identified themselves last week to border officials in the same town in Texas. In each instant, the men were taken to one detention facility and the women and children to another. Hmm. Well, this is this is probably more efficient than trying to work your way through Europe and then eventually make it over here. They yeah. got here. Now they're knocking at the door, and I'm assuming they're going to have to be taken somewhere. Apparently. They self-reported. They're first in line. Now they're coming to our door. Interesting. Around a dozen protesters gathered outside a mosque in Texas on Saturday, most of whom were carrying guns. One had a sign which expressed the desire to stop the Islamization of America. Mm. I don't know if that's a word. Even uh, the event's organizer, David Wright, said that he wanted to show uh, that the Syrian refugees shouldn't be allowed into the country. Uh, They're on the sidewalk with their AR-15s. And luckily they have the right to do that. Absolutely. And hold up their Ted Cruz sign. No, is that and, it? And uh, the the only audio I was trying to see if they interviewed anybody, and the only audio had sort of just a natural background of them. Them and one guy looked to the other guy and said, "You know, I heard that uh, Trump wants Ted Cruz as a VP." The other guy's like, "Really?" That was the only audio. <laughs> that was good. That was a good imitation of yeah, the supposed yeah. of the alleged audio. That's what he. That's what I. What I am reporting that's this good. morning. Right. Some Americans are once again threatening to move to Canada after President Barack Obama said he would veto a Republican bill that would show the or slow the process of bringing Syrian refugees into the country. ISIS threatens R. Uh, R is spelled A R E instead of. Hmm. You, that's why you are. It's going to mess so, you up. ISIS threatens our White House, but we are still letting refugees come. Who's ready to move to Canada? I read a, tw- a post on Twitter. The irony, of course, is the United States has said it will bring in 10,000 refugees next year, while Canada has pledged bringing in 25,000 refugees into their <laughs> country before the end of next year. Canadians on social media have been quick to point this fact out. We're going to Canada. <laughs> oh, wait. They're up there, too. That's crazy. Are you uh, traveling this Thanksgiving? I am. In my car. To? To southern Utah. Oh, that's right. You said the Red Rocks of southern Utah. Thanksgiving, traditionally one of the busiest holiday travel weekends of the year. 
This is no exception. For this year, nearly 47 million Americans are expected to travel away from home over the long weekend, according to forecast. And with low gas prices, AAA travel projects the holiday could be the biggest travel-by-car event since 2007. Mm. Nationwide AAA projects that nearly 42 million people will get to their destinations by car, an increase of 0.7% over the last year. Oh, wow. The remaining travelers will fly that's about 4 million, it looks like, or 3 million people, about 3 million, will travel by uh, flight or plane, other, you know, train, plane, automobile. <laughs> so it's interesting that uh, 42 million people will get there by car, 47 million people will travel. Well, maybe I'm, I need to rethink my travel plans because I don't know that I want to be on the road with so many people. Yeah, you might have a lot of company. I'm actually now starting to regret my decision. There's been some, especially with the way the highways are set up here in our, our state of Utah, where as you're heading south, there's one way to go. Yep. And if something and happens to overturn, yeah. then one wreck, everyone, you're stuck. Well, and apparently there's going to be storms and ice yes. and blizzards. Storms in the west mm-hmm. and colder in the east, but no storms. By the way, weather update brought to you by Jerry South. That Can't great, wait. That was great weather. Thanksgiving Day, there's supposed to be a, a storm that hits uh, this area of the country. And El Nino, th- let's just blame it all on the little kid, El Nino. My wife's a little nervous. I'm like, yeah, I have traction control. I'm fine. Yeah, you have a nice new car. I, boy, I wish I had bought a new car before this trip. Yeah, probably. I guess I have two more nights. There you go. Hmm. Good stuff. I am regretting the decision to travel by car. So one of the dilemmas is how do I make sure that my decision-making makes me feel better, more confident? Our next guest, Dr. Rebecca Shiner, will be joining us. She's a psychologist who studies personality traits and happiness. She's going to be talking to us about her research she was doing and is doing at Colgate University in New York. Uh, Interesting stuff about how you make your decisions and your level of confidence behind them. Stick with us, folks. Uh, Remember, one of the goals of the show is to help you live a healthier life, and to lead a healthier life. Decision-making is a key part of that. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. You know, have you ever wondered why some decisions still leave you feeling anxious long after you've made them? We can reverse some of the choices we make, but others are permanent. And although it may seem safer to make a choice we can later fix, research has shown that people tend to feel more satisfied after making a decision that they can't undo. Rebecca Shiner is a psychologist who studies personality traits and happiness. She joins us now from Colgate University in New York. Welcome, Dr. Shiner, to The Matt Townsend Show. Great. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. Awesome to have you. And to me, when I saw this article, I thought, oh, what a great little thing we've got to discuss. Because everybody, we're making decisions all day long, all the time. And yet for some of us, uh, you know, we, we, we're never quite happy with the decision we make. Um, talk to us a little bit about some of the research you've been conducting. Yeah, so my particular interest in decision-making has to do with a a style um, that people vary on. Um, And so at the one, 
in general, this, this tendency is referred to as maximizing. Mm. And so at the one end, at sort of the high end of this tendency, um, these are people who, whenever they're faced with a decision, even a trivial decision, uh, they like to make sure that they're picking the best possible option. And yeah. so they tend to investigate every possible thing, you know, so that if, for example, if they're picking a radio station, um, they, they might want to check every possible radio station before they settle on the one that they want to listen hmm. to. Um, and so they, they tend to be very thorough in searching all the options. Um, they struggle with making those decisions, and they just have very high standards for what um, they're going to find satisfying. But then on the other end are people who um, are sometimes referred to as satisficers. And so these are people who decision-making um, is easier for them, because what they do is they look at options, um, but they don't feel like they have to investigate every possible option. Mm. Um, and they, they sort of go with the first option that seems like it's good enough for them. Um, and, and so their expectations for every choice that they make aren't quite so yeah. high. And then, they're, you know, most people are going to fall somewhere in between on that, on that dimension. So, you know, it's important to know, I might refer to them as maximizers or satisficers, but it, it really is, um, it's kind of a dimension where you could be any point on there, um, uh, in terms of how you approach your decisions. Now, I always heard, and tell me if maybe this is part of it, that the more you invest in the decision, the more time, the more energy, the more focus. I always heard that it increases your um, your likelihood of of dissatisfaction because you've invested so much energy. You know more. You've thought more. So you're more likely to have something that wasn't ideal. Right. Well, right. And maybe the reason that you've heard that, so there is research showing that people who are high on this maximizing tendency, who do try to optimize every decision, um, that that tendency is associated with a greater tendency to regret the decisions mm. that you've made. So in, in a way, it's, it seems counterintuitive. You would think that the more that a person is really striving for the best possible option, considering every alternative, um, the more satisfied they would be. But in fact, um, the, the people who tend to do that, they also tend to be more regretful about their decisions. Interesting. And so, what's interesting yeah. is that's true even when the decision objectively might be better. So, for example, um, there was a really neat study where they, they went to people who are seniors in college and they're about to sort of launch into their adult lives and they were on the job search and they measured their maximizing tendencies before they graduated. Um, and then they tracked them over time to see what kind of jobs did they get and then how happy were they. And what was really interesting is that the more that people were maximizers, um, the higher the starting salary tended to be, huh. um, even as much as $10,000 more than the people who were um, satisficers. Um, but interestingly, even in spite of the fact that they were making more money, the maximizers tended to be less happy with the jobs that they ultimately got. Oh, isn't that interesting? Because it, so it really kind of parallels also um, maybe just um, somebody who's uh, more optimistic versus kind of pessimistic. So the pessimistic person seems like a maximizer who wants to make sure they've crossed all the T's, dotted all the I's, made, made sure it's the best possible scenario. Right. It may be, um, it, you know, it may be the case, and this is something I'm currently trying to investigate, that part of what drives maximizing tendencies is, is a worry that things might go wrong. Mm. 
and and sort of more of an appreciation for the fact that you might end up regretting your decision. Yeah. Um, so it may be a strategy that people tend to adopt because they're concerned about things going wrong and they're trying to make sure that they're preventing that. And the satisficer isn't they're not spending as much time, as much research, as much energy. They're satisfied with their job, even though it might be $10,000 less than the maximizer gets. They're happy with it. Right, exactly. Yeah. So that and this is true sort of for life satisfaction in general. So people who tend to maximize also tend to be just sort of generally a little less happy, a little less satisfied with their lives. Holy cow. Is um so in your research the what else did you learn about a maximizer or versus a satisficer or or vice versa? It, what other traits do they bring? Um, so in, in this, the research that I did, and I, I mean, I'm happy to talk about sort of what people have found in general about it, but the particular study that I, that I have done on it recently, I was looking at the question of um, decision reversibility. So when we make decisions, as you mentioned at the start, you know, some of our decisions are fairly final, mm-hmm. right? You know, you buy a meal at a restaurant, well, it's, it's pretty done. much done, right? right. <laughs> By the time you've gotten the meal. Um, but then other decisions that we make, we can reverse them. We can try to change them. We can take the clothes back that we decided we don't like once we get them home. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really interested in the question of whether for maximizers, I was interested in whether for them, if if a decision is one that they can reverse, if they know that they can change it, are they more comfortable and satisfied with that decision? Because I hypothesize that maybe they would be if yeah. they know that they can actually go back um, and continue to try to get the best decision for themselves. Um, and so it was a study where we, we recruited a, a group of students who are maximizers, a group of students who are satisficers, and then we presented them um, either with a situation where a decision that they made, a kind of trivial decision about choosing a poster, um, whether it was reversible or Hmm. final. Um, And so what we found was consistent with what I had hypothesized, which was that for maximizers, they were more satisfied with their choice of the poster when they knew they could reverse the decision. Um, Whereas for satisficers, um, they were more satisfied with their choice uh, when when the decision was final and they knew they couldn't go back and change it. Oh, interesting. Um, So, yeah, I think it's very interesting that at least – and and to me it was especially interesting that that the maximizers were just as happy as the satisficers as long as they knew they could change the decision. So it's permanence of the decision that impacts – that maybe makes maximizers uh, have such a gap. Right, and so uncomfortable. Uh Right, and it's true that so many of the decisions that we make are permanent um, or they they come at a – a great cost if we want to change them. Um, so that part of what might be difficult for maximizers is that in the real world, uh, many decisions really are permanent mm-hmm. um, or, or they're ones we don't really want to change, right? We yeah. don't want to be changing our spouses <laughs> That's <laughs> or right. changing, our, changing our jobs on a very routine basis. So the satisficer, it seems like they're playing the game of almost minimization, that, that it doesn't, you know, nothing's permanent really. I mean, it's just a job for now, or right. it's just it's just you know it, it's almost like they'll deal with it, they'll put up with it, um, and, and it's almost like they minimize what's really going on to make them feel more okay with it. Perhaps it, you know it may it, it may be the case that they're just sort of generally more content with yeah. the way that things are for them. 
Hmm. Um, and so that they don't feel like they have to always have the best possible outcome in order to be satisfied with what they have. Did And do you sense that, I mean, because that's great news for a maximizer is if you are a maximizer, just start looking for opportunities to make it less permanent, something that is reversible. Potentially, potentially. Although, as I said, I think so many of the decisions that we make can't be can't reversed. Really do right, that. Or, right. or it would come with a terrible cost. If right. Yeah. To Divorce. Right. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so in that case, I think there are going to have to be other strategies that maximizers would use to try to help them to um, to be happy and to be satisfied mm. with the choices that ma- they make. But yeah. if, it, if they're trivial decisions that can be reversed, perhaps um, a strategy would be to, to try to, to make decisions that are reversible. Well, let's, let's do this. We're speaking with Dr. Rebecca Shiner from Colgate University in New York about your decision-making. Are you a maximizer, a satisficer? We'll take a break, come back, continue the discussion. When we come back, I want to know the breakdown. Is it is there a, you know, how does it fall out? 50% maximizer, 50% satisficer? And you be thinking out there in listener land, where do you fall? You know, do you try to maximize all of your best possible options when making the decision? We'll talk about it when we come back. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. To the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, do you ever feel disappointed and uh, you regret the decisions you've made? Do you ever feel like, I wish we hadn't done it that way? How to feel satisfied with your choices. That's what we're talking about today. And some of the research by Dr. Rebecca Shiner. She's a psychologist who studies personality traits and happiness. She joins us now from Colgate University in New York and uh, has been teaching us about maximizers and satisficers. Uh, welcome back, Rebecca, to the show. Yep, thank you. Talk about, give me the definitions again of a maximizer and a satisficer. Okay, so um, at the at the one extreme, at the high maximizing end, um, a maximizer would be someone who, with each decision or most decisions, tries to really make the optimal choice for that person by examining all the possible mm. alternatives um, and then really trying to zero in on what the very most optimal choice is. Tons what of research, that? tons of thinking. Tons right. of involvement. Right. So the right, exactly. So the person is going to, uh, you know, in picking a light fixture, is going to uh, go and do an extremely thorough search on every possible website before settling on the very best possible light yeah. fixture. Um, at the other extreme um, would be a satisficer, so someone who is not that concerned about making sure that each choice is optimal, but rather that it's at least satisfying. So the person will kind of consider options until they find one that, that they consider acceptable hmm. and then go with that option. So if you end up going back to Home Depot four times on your first decision because you keep ma- having made the wrong decision because you haven't right. thought it through, I'm assuming you're kind of a satisficer. Uh, a maximizer. Is right? that a maximizer? Well, Am I understanding. So if you well, keep going back because you're not, because you're, oh. um, because you're, you're not sure that the thing you picked was quite the right one, and you you think there might be a better oh, fixture out there. I yeah, see. Then in that case, yeah. you would be a maximizer. But what if you're going back because you didn't think it through, 
and you didn't ah. read everything 15 times and you just keep finding out that, ugh, nope, that doesn't even fit this toilet. Ah, ah. I see, I see. I, that, that must be some other treatment. That's, that's probably just neglectful <laughs> decision-making. Careless, careless. Like that. yeah. I mean, that's that, so in true. That case, it, it doesn't have to um, – it, it, yeah, it does. It probably doesn't have to do with this particular yeah, treat. Yeah, good. Okay, but just wanted to would be something like, um, for example, when my husband and I had our house built for us 15 years ago, um, we had to pick out 36 light fixtures. Um, and so if we were both maximizers, this probably would have led to our divorce. Yeah. Because we would have had to investigate each and every one uh, at so great length before settling on it. Is, um, is How does this balance out? Do you know statistically what percentage of the population tend to be maximizers, what tend, tend to be satisficers? Right. So um, this, this dimension, this trait is one that exists sort of as a continuous dimension. And it doesn't exist in the real world as categories, hmm. as maximizers versus satisficers. So it's, that's sort of a handy, handy shorthand. Yeah. Um, that, that some of us use when talking about it, um, but those categories don't really exist. Um, and so you could be anywhere sort of along that dimension. It, you may, you know, you, there may be some decisions where you do try to strive for what's optimal and then others where you're happy with whatever mm-hmm. seems fine at the time. So most people are actually going to fall somewhere in the middle, um, but then there are people who tend toward one extreme or the other. Well, yeah, I guess it could be depending on what you're buying. Like if you're buying a car... You, and it's a bigger investment. You might invest more time and try to maximize it versus if you're buying a shirt for $4. Right, right, exactly. Or if you're picking a meal at a restaurant right. or something like that. Now, if you're married to – this seems like a really interesting little study because all of a sudden you realize you might be married to a maximizer and you're a satisficer and that between the two could create quite a few problems maybe. Right, yeah. And I don't know that anybody has studied the question of – um, you know, what happens if, if spouses or partners have different decision-making styles. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's easy to imagine how it would cause conflict if they have incompatible styles and, and they're not willing to sort of learn from the style of the other person. Yeah. Um, I, you know, so I can imagine a situation where you might have a maximizer and a satisficer, and instead of sort of seeing the value in the other's approach, they may try to insist on their way, in which case the maximizer um, may be frustrated by the person who's happy to just go with whatever, whatever right. seems you know, immediately satisficing. And, and the satisficer may think, why are we looking <laughs> you know, for five months on Consumer Reports to pick out this car? That's right. Just buy a microwave. Just buy the microwave. Right, exactly. On the other hand, I think there's some value to be found in both styles. Mm -hmm. So I can imagine there being couples where they have different styles in this regard, but they respect what the other's... Um, ha- what the other has to bring in terms of their decision making, in which case it would cause less conflict. And, well, and it seems like, too, we might be able to benefit and use each other's strength. You might right. have the maximizer by the car and the satisficer by the, the food. Right. Or pick out, pick out the hotel for an overnight stay right. where the quality of, a, of your hotel for one night is not going to make or break your life. Mm. Right. See, that's huge. And and I guess, too, the other thing is what came up in your research is identifying the reversibility of it. I mean, just if couples went in and could somehow identify how serious of a decision is this, how reversible is it, that might make everyone happier. Mm-hmm. 
you know? That's right. That's right. If they're attentive to whether it's it's something that they're eventually going to be able to change their minds about. That's interesting. I, yeah. I kind of, I guess, play both of them. I like being a maximizer simply because I don't ever want to have to make this decision again. Mm-hmm. So I want to put everything in the decision now because I don't want to regret it and make it five more times because the car broke down or because, mm-hmm. you know. Right. And that's maximizing in service of, of eventually just being satisfied and yeah. moving on. Yeah. Which I think is actually a, a very healthy approach. Oh, thank you. Will you call my wife <laughs> yeah. and tell her that? Uh, <laughs> let her know. <laughs> let her know. <laughs> However, you know, if, if the whole process of decision making is really distressing, um, that's not good either. No, right? no. Oh, well, um, yeah. And part of it is because anything that involves money – from for me and others, it probably be, it even adds more complexity, right? Because you should. I, I always learned, you know, pay a little more, get something better to last mm-hmm. longer. It's more valuable, but oh, you don't want to spend the money, right? 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 And it's that kind of delicate balance between sort of maximizing mm-hmm. um, by putting a little bit more money in versus, um, you know, being very careful with how you're spending. Is is this what what well what would you recommend? So from the research and in, just in decision making in general, if we want to improve our satisfaction, are there some tricks of the game? Are there some things we could be doing, especially this time of year when we might be buying more gifts or planning more trips or whatever? What are some tricks for decision making that would improve satisfaction? Mm, that's a great question. I think that the I think that. The answer may vary somewhat depending on whether we're talking about someone who is a maximizer or satisficer. Right, right. Um, but I, putting that aside for just a minute, you know, um, it's hard to stay satisfied with a decision if you're constantly thinking about what all the possible alternatives might have been. Yeah. If you're imagining the way that things might have gone had you picked some other option, um, that. That is called counterfactual thinking. That's the name that psychologists give to it. And people who engage in that kind of what-if process after they make decisions tend to be less satisfied with those decisions. Hmm. Um, you know, in general, people seem to be more satisfied with decisions if they make the decision, commit to it, um, and then tend not to look back on it. Um, and once they've made the decision, then they think about all the fabulous things about that choice that they made. Hmm. Um, and maybe they even start to see negative things about the things they opted not to choose. Um, that is what kind of on average leads to be, people to be more satisfied with their decisions, um, having that sense of closure um, and that, that sense that they're not going to think about all the alternatives that they passed up. Um, so in general, on average, that would, that's what I would recommend. Yeah. Um, for a maximizer, for sort of an extreme maximizer, that may not work. Um, you know, for those people, they may really need to know that they've picked the decision um, that is optimal. Um, so for them, they may be better off if they have at least a little bit of time where they might be able to change their minds. Um, and then that may leave them with a greater sense of satisfaction that, in fact, they really have made the right choice. Right. So, I mean, isn't that – that's the game, isn't it? It's um... – I guess you have to know yourself, don't you? And then right. I think and that figure that's it important. out. I think, you know, you need to know what you value. Um, you need to know what your own decision-making style is. Um, and, you know, and then try to make decisions in a way that is sort of the be- best fit with, with who you are and what your own style is. Yeah. No, I think that's great. Great feedback. 
Great information. And then I've just found sometimes it's just easier when you just flip a coin. Mm-hmm. You know, you just get down. You know, once you've got a fairly clear decision, you've stressed yourself about it. A lot of times it, just a random decision or have someone else help you make it. Right. That's right. And sometimes that may actually be a good strategy for someone who is a maximizer um, is to sort of take it out of their control. Because, again, I think part of what drives this maximizing tendency is the worry about regret. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if you have a kind of acceptance, like the decision is made. And and we're just going to go with that. Um, we're going to go with whatever the coin right. <laughs> flip turns out to be. Um, that could be potentially helpful to a maximizer just because then they don't have to keep thinking about what the alternatives might have been. Well, and how many times have you researched, researched, you figured out the one you want. It's for sure the one you want, but there's a really good second one. And then all of a sudden you go to the store and they're like, yeah, we won't have, we're out of the number. We're out of your first choice. So mm-hmm. sorry. And you're like, oh, OK, then I'll take number two. And it it really doesn't matter right? if there's not a choice. The choice is made for you. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? And I think it's important just to remember that that so many of the decisions we make day to day have very limited implications for our lives. Right. Right. There's no point imbuing most of them with tremendous significance because if you pick a bad meal, you'll have a wonderful meal at some point sometime soon. There's always Um, antacids and Alka-Seltzer. Yeah, exactly. You can get over it. Right. <laughs> it's so true. And we make small things such a big deal. I can already see, uh, you know, people wa- need to watch out for like Friday, Black Friday, is that what they call it? Mm-hmm. Um, because we make such a big deal about all these things we've been thinking about. And if we get to the mall and we wait in line and then they run out, it could kill us. Right, 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 right. And right, exactly. And, and, you know, those are ultimately we know, you know, we know from other psychology research, those kind of trivial decisions have very little impact on your long term well-being. It's just important to keep those in perspective. You yeah. know, it's the big decisions about who you love and about the work that you do and about the values that you have that, that long term have an impact on your happiness, not those kind of trivial decisions. Great stuff. Dr. Rebecca Shiner, thank you for your insight. Yep, and thanks for having me. You bet. Appreciate you, and happy holidays to you. Yeah, uh, you too. Again, from Colgate University in New York. It's such great advice. Most of your decisions don't matter. They're not going to matter tomorrow. Um, you know, whether you bought the red or the blue, oh, I bought the red. In the end, what matters is your relationships, your job, how, you're, how you are responding to your talents, your skills, powerful stuff. And, you know, if you can just see it as reversible, you know, even if it's a hard reversing like changing your job, we can still do it. We'll do it. There's time. We've got time in life. Uh, Stick with us, folks. We'll take a break. Interesting stuff. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world, giving you the tools to lead a healthier life. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. Hey, in the Coach's Corner today, I wanted to take a minute to review um, an article from businessinsider.com. It's written by James Clear or from jamesclear.com. It's 10 overrated beliefs about life that might be hurting your success. 10. Now, think about it. We all have these beliefs, these ideas, these things we think are so important, and yet uh, there's underrated beliefs. 
<laughs> it's like that, like that, like that's the sign of an overrated belief, and an underrated belief has a different sound. The under, yep, that's not it. Uh, let me give you an example. For example, we in this society, we are the think being busy is so important, big. If you're a busy person, you are the bomb, right? Because you're taking action, you're making stuff happen. People obviously want you, they need you. That's an overrated thought. And we don't need it. Bad. The underrated thought that we never pay attention to, but would probably change our life dramatically, is doing one thing at a time. <sighs> doing one thing at a time. We are so into multitasking and being able to get all these things done. And the reality is you can only ever do one thing at a time. So what if we could do one thing at a time and make that our success our success pattern? One thing at a time. Read the paper. Nail it. Talk to your family. Nail it. Get to work. Drive to work. Don't die. Get to work. Focus on each thing one at a time instead of just being busy. Anyway, Overrated thought. Let's get to another one. Here's another one that's interesting. Overrated thought is you need is avoiding criticism. We're trying to avoid criticism. Mm. Underrated thought is sharing unique ideas. When was the last time you walked in to a family meeting or a meeting with your team and you said, look, I need some feedback. Give me feedback on me. <laughs> we don't do that. People don't do that. I really, I want to know. What do you think? How could I help more Give me your feedback. Share your unique ideas for what I could do to make your life better. That's scary. So we tend to instead spend all of our energy avoiding criticism instead of sharing and in getting other people to share their unique ideas. Another overrated idea is the unrestricted freedom. You should have all the freedom you want. I mean, that's great, right? You have all the freedom, the freedom to say whatever you want, the freedom to do whatever you want. Anyway, underrated free, underrated statement uh, is that we should carefully – we are carefully designed and have carefully designed constraints. Okay, this sounds so weird. You should probably – and we've talked about it with experts on our emails and text messages. We probably should put some constraints on how often we check our inbox. You shouldn't just be so proud that you can check your email all day long, unrestricted. Because that's just stupid. I mean, I know you want to get the messages when they come in, but you're also wasting a lot of time. So what if you put some constrictions on your schedule? If you already know you need to exercise every day, shouldn't you have already constricted or restricted access to certain times of the day so that you can get in and exercise during those times? If you keep telling everybody, I don't have time to do something, what you're telling them is you have not put any constrictions or constraints on your schedule, you like to leave it free so that everybody that has a goal can just come and insert it into your life. But meanwhile, your goals don't get accomplished because you haven't put any restrictions. Here's another overrated thought uh, that degrees and certifications and credentials are the key. An underrated thought we hardly ever talk about is that it's more about courage and creativity. That's who wins the game. Degrees can be important. I don't want to be operated on by a neurosurgeon who didn't attend med school. But as my friend Charlie Gilkey told me, most people need degrees because they don't have the courage to ask for what they want. Whoa. 
It's according to our author, James Clear, from jamesclear.com. So maybe it's not so much just about your degrees, certifications, and credentials. Do you have the courage to go create the job you've been dreaming about? Do you have the creativity to find a way to do it? That might involve some degrees, some certifications. But when I started my job, there was no job to help people learn to talk, you know, to solve a problem and to resolve conflict. 25 years ago, you know, mediation wasn't a huge booming business. It was pretty much cornered by lawyers and it was also cornered by therapists. Well, I didn't want to be a therapist and I didn't want to be a lawyer. So I had to find my own way. And it took a lot more courage and creativity. People come up to me and they all the time they're like, I really want to do what you do. What degree should I go get? And I look at them like, I have no idea because I kind of did it in a weird way. I have a journalism degree. I have a degree in conflict resolution. I have a degree in human development. And I have another degree in human and organizational systems. Eh, I have a lot of degrees. But I creatively then started my own thing. Here's another one. That the best way, the most overrated thought is getting motivated. You need to be pumped up. That's overrated. The underrated thought that we generally don't pay much attention to, that you need to change your environment. Isn't it true that most of the time the reason you do what you're doing is because of your environment? So instead of just hunkering down and trying to motivate yourself more to go do some work, why don't you change your environment so your environment acts on you, Right? Just very simply, instead of being motivated to go get that thing in the mail and finally get that thing that you've been meaning to send back forever and getting it sent back, what if you just put it out in front uh, on your kitchen table and until it's done, it's going to sit on the kitchen table? Just moving it in my environment could create the motivation I need or at least the motivation my wife needs to tell me to get it out of here. Just our thinking, folks, and every one of us gets stuck in our thinking. Anyway, final one of the day. Overrated thought is watching the news. It's exhausting, isn't it? It's, it's demoralizing. It's debilitating. And an underrated thought that we don't pay enough attention to is reading some good old books. When was the last time you read a book? Holiday season's coming up. It might be a great time to start a new book, friends. Or at least listen to a podcast, The Matt Townsend Show. You can find us all over the place. iTunes, on TuneIn. We're everywhere. Or you just go to BYURadio.org. We'll take a break. That's hour number two. We'll be back next hour with more ideas to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead a happier life. Until the next hour, stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. It's actually bottom of the morning to some. But we got a great show for you today. This is the show where we help you live longer and uh, love stronger, have healthier, happier relationships. And we will be addressing holiday blues this hour. Some of you aren't excited about the upcoming holiday or holidays. You're just not into it for a variety of reasons. You got family. Maybe this brings back memories of you know someone you've lost this year. So it, it feels heavier. 
So we'll be speaking with Maud Purcell, who's going to be walking us through the holiday blues and how to beat those blues. You just got to beat them away. Holidays can be tough. They really can. Even if you like them, there's a lot of history. There's a lot of ah, there's bills you got to pay. And if you're you're struggling financially, plus it's just a hard time of the year. Less sun. You're in the house. You're wearing all these sweaters. You know, yeah, the holiday the, the, sweater. This, all these different things working against you. Yeah, being happy. I, a lot of people have an, uh, the 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 uh, the cloudy the. The sort of dark, it gets darker early. It really yeah. affects them that oh, there's yeah. less sun. Sads, they call it. Seasonal affective disorder. Where I'm just, I thrive in it. Do you love it? Yes. I even close all the blinds and make it darker. You really are dark. I just get in my cave and just, ah, what, do what, you know, just not, I, the sun is great, but. I mean, the sun's good and everything, but yeah. you know, we don't need it. The whole, you know, vitamins and <laughs> all that. Yeah, don't need that. Man, you're looking for trouble. My wife gets mad. I bet she does because she's got light. She, I, I, she's with, full of light. With the holidays, she her schedule kind of mixes up a little bit, and she'll be home sometimes. When I get home, and all the windows are open. See, you're every you're, blinds open. Shut the window. You're what more you like Scrooge, who just you know shuts all the blinds in yeah. his house. It's a very dark, ominous. Yeah. Have you ever had visits from ghosts of Christmas past? Nope. How about present? No. Anybody from the future come to see? Not you? that I remember. No. Hmm. Yeah. Well, maybe will. soon. Maybe Give it soon. time. Give it time. Maybe soon. Talk about a nice gift for the holidays. Uh, did you hear about the car thieves that abducted, uh, that took a car, but then in the back seat, they look back there and there's an eight-year-old boy sitting there? Oh, come on! I know. In Norfolk, Virginia, two men hijacked a parked car only to discover an eight-year-old boy was sitting in the back seat. Now, what do you do with an eight-year-old boy? I mean... You don't want kidnapping charges. Yeah, instantly you've just moved your crime to a whole different level. So you're like, you know what? I better take him to school. (laughs) He was all dressed and ready. His hair was nice and neatly slicked over. Hey, kid, where do you go to school? Yeah. So they took him to Ghent Elementary School and dropped him off. The kid was apparently unfazed by the whole thing. And uh, his mom's cell phone was still left in the car, so the police were able to track the car down with GPS. But the hijackers and the kidnappers... Uh, were gone, and the mother, um, by the way, may still face charges because she left the son in the car with the engine running. Yes. I mean, but she was probably heating up the car. Or running into a store, which is yeah. what usually. Or like some moms, are t- they're tired of running the carpools. <laughs> so she was hoping that some car bandits would come. Hey, could you run my kid to school? Thanks. But, I mean, those were very mature <laughs> car thieves. But you could... <laughs> this happens from time to time. They, they 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 see the chance. They can take the opportunity. They yeah. steal the car. They turn around and oh, there's a oh. kid back there. Hey, Jimmy, you want a donut before we drop you off to school? <laughs> okay, we'll get you a donut. You want some milk, Jimmy? <laughs> That's cool. That was nice. Yeah. See, so just know. I mean, thieves they're everywhere, but some they're good hearted. They're still good hearted. Yeah. They don't want to ruin your life. They just want to steal your car, not your kid. <laughs> Put that on a billboard. Put that on your license plate. Hey, we just want to steal your car, not your kid. Happy holidays. That's great. I mean, it could be worse. Come on. We always hear the bad news. There's the good news. They could have taken the kid. They could have upped the ante. But then they weren't smart enough to notice a cell phone. Probably just sitting there. Yeah. It wasn't like they were Probably they were going off, I'm assuming. Every yeah. time. Maybe, um, maybe, maybe the kid was really annoying. 
<laughs> and they were, they were like I, heading for like the border. They were heading. I had the image of the kid from Home Alone in the back seat. Just <laughs> he's just talking the ear off. Yeah. So I'm going. And you know, today I have chemistry today, and I don't like chemistry because chemistry when you're eight years old is really hard. And they're like, <laughs> kid, out of the car. <laughs> Where do you go to school, kid? We've got to get rid of you. <laughs> See, that's another thing you could teach your kids is you don't need them to teach them self defense. Just teach them to be obnoxious. Be obnoxious. My yeah. mom is gonna kill you guys. Oh, you can't. Oh. Wait. She's going to be so mad if I don't get to school on time. Yeah. Okay, Jimmy, where do you go to school? Ghent Elementary. Anyway, uh, <laughs> it's cool. And still crazy town. You, I mean, talk about going to school. If I hear any more crazy stories coming out of Trumpville, yeah, I'm worried about the guy. He needs to just... He's had a string of hits his last few days. But, Pretty good ones. I know, and it's not affecting his, his no. ratings. He's still booming in Iowa. But Carson's dropping. He's dropping like a stone. Rubio's going up. Why do you think that is? Why do you think I why don't do you know. think Ben Carson is dropping? The stories about, you know, the yeah. in, in, inconsistencies with his biography, it's uh, who cares. Isn't it interesting though, but if we have to just take inconsistencies and you had to choose Trump versus Carson. Yeah. Well, Car- well Trump's are more spectacular. Yeah. He's, just, he's going to build a wall that I don't know if we've actually got any measurements on the wall or the length of it, yeah. and it's still a thing. He still talks about it. But it's bravado of Trump. I think that's, yeah. what, I think that's what it is. Is I, I just think Carson's scene is not strong enough. Doesn't have a strong enough personality, I, mean, I, I think they think that – but I think they're all of the same ilk. Who do you oh, trust? Yeah. yeah. But I don't think it's about trust right now. It's about who's going to crack heads. You know, who, who's going to be the carjacker? And, you know, Carson's the kind of guy that if he carjacked a car with an eight-year-old kid, he'd take him back, take him to school. He'd probably take the car back, too. Trump would pretend like the kid didn't even exist. That's right. It was your fault. You're hey, in the what car. Hey, what you doing back there, fatty? He'd just start making fun of the poor kid. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just like, I'm like the guy at the, the guy at the rally last week. That's he goes, I mentioned food stamps, and the guy with the weight problem gets all excited. Sure, the guy had a little beat down when we were moving him, but maybe we should have had a bigger beat down. Yeah, that was over the weekend, yeah. He's got a lot of that going on. Anyway, any other headlines going on around the country we need to worry about? There are. Thanks, Matt. British Prime Minister David Cameron said today he would ask for parliamentary approval this week to begin participating in the U.S.-led airstrikes on ISIS in Syria. Speaking in Paris after a meeting with the French president, Cameron called for more intelligence sharing across the European Union. This decision being made as the headquarters of the EU, Brussels, is in lockdown as a manhunt continues for members of the terrorist cell responsible for the attacks on Paris. Ten days ago, in his first national TV ad, Republican presidential candidate Marco Rubio warns the deadly Paris terror attacks could be coming to the United States. He quotes, "What happened in Paris could happen here." I'm Marco Rubio. I approve this message because there can be no arrangement or negotiation. Either they win, or we do. The conflict Rubio declares is a battle between radical Islamic terror and those who support the values of freedom and liberty. Look for more ads like that. Uh, Americans across the board have little trust in government, according to a new poll. But Republicans are nearly three times as likely as Democrats to say they are angry at the government as the 2016 elections approach. Uh, A new Pew Research Center poll out Monday shows that only 19 percent of Americans say they can trust government always or most of the time close to the lowest level in the past 60 years, according to Pew. Mm. Republicans, on average, though, are much more likely to express dissatisfaction with the government than Democrats. They are nearly three times as likely to say that they are angry with it at 32% of Republicans and GOP leaners, compared with 12% of Democrats and Democratic leaners. Wow. 
The GOP is also substantially more distrustful of government, with 89% of Republicans saying they sometimes or never trust government compared to 72% of Democrats. Hmm. So that might be why some people are leaning towards Trump. Yeah, there's the pro-Trump answer right as there. As they're hearing what, they, know. what matches the level of uh, concern they have. Um, uh, the Treasury Department received a, rec- a record contribution of $2.2 million towards reducing the national debt in September, even as the government was running out of borrowed money as it approached the debt limit. Hmm. They received $2.2 million to help pay down the debt. From? Donors. Wow. In all, donors contributed $2.3 million in, uh, in the last month of the 2015 fiscal year, boosting the annual contributions for the year to $3.9 million, according to a just-released data from the Bureau of Fiscal Service. I have a feeling it's not going to go very far. No. Treasury officials say that the September's haul was helped by a single $2.2 million payment, but would not provide any details on the source of the contribution. A little-known account called the Public Debt Reduction Fund receives tax-deductible contributions from the public to pay down national debt. Hmm. But it amounts to just under $3 million. So that's, what, a couple minutes of... If you're lucky, it might be seconds. There was a guy in Seattle that donated his his life savings, and they thanked him, and there was a ceremony. Thanks, and, Jimmy. And then someone crunched the numbers and said it lasted less than two minutes when it came to funding Holy the government. <laughs> and he had like five, six, seven million dollars. Wow. So, um, according to a survey conducted by research firm RBC Capital Markets, the first report. Uh, in a, on a website, most than more than half of the U.S. internet users say they've used Netflix to watch a movie or a TV show in the past 12 months. Wow, yeah. The study also asked people about what other video offerings they use regularly. YouTube came a close second, right behind Netflix, followed by Amazon, Hulu, and HBO Go. So it says 51% of U.S. Internet users watch Netflix. That's, yeah, I thought you'd even have all Internet. That's amazing. That seems pretty high to me. Which probably leads to why my Internet is so bad at home. That's exactly right. That's why it's draining. It slows down in the evenings. Everyone's watching Netflix. We won't name names. Of uh, who your providers are, but hey, got a great uh, guest coming up. Maud Purcell will be joining us to help us beat the holiday blues. If you have a tendency to have a little drop off during this holiday season, maybe don't feel as up and as positive as you'd like to. Stick with us because we've got some great insight on what to do, what might be causing it. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Now, do you just love this Christmas music? Or does it make you feel a little, uh, does it bring you down? Does it give you the blues? Well, our next guest is here to help us through this. You know, the holiday season is upon us. This week we'll be celebrating Thanksgiving, and then by Friday the stores will be full of holiday sales, Christmas lights, We'll be decorating the streets, and loved ones will be cozying up to each other. But what if you're not feeling so holly jolly? What if the holiday season makes you feel anxious, stressed, or sad? Instead, don't think you're the only one out there who doesn't feel holiday cheer. And it also doesn't mean you're a Scrooge. Maud Purcell, seasoned psychotherapist and founder and executive director of the Life Solutions Center of Darien, is here today to teach us how we can beat the holiday blues this season. Maud, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. 
Thanks, Matt. So nice to be here. You bet. Great to have you uh, on the show because this isn't. There's a, there's many reasons why people have the blues right at holiday season. It's not. It's not just that they're you know a Scrooge. They just there's pressure. There's financial issues. There's a hard history. What else gets in the way of some feeling so holly and jolly? Matt, there's so many, many factors, and so it's hard to segregate exactly what causes what. But here are some of the things that I see regularly. First of all, there's a pressure to feel good. Um, we see this, the lights and the gifts and the holiday sales and the Christmas trees and every all the reminders, and we feel as though we're supposed to be part of that Hallmark card picture. Yeah. And so often we're not, but the pressure to feel that actually makes us feel worse. So that's one thing. Um, another thing is that every time a holiday comes around, we're reminded of previous holidays, some of which were probably great, but some of which were not so great. Uh, often when we've lost loved ones around a holiday time or just lost loved ones, when the holidays come up, we're reminded of their absence, and that makes us sad at a time when actually we should feel happy. But since families get together on holidays, we feel the loss mm. of family members. Because this could be uh, the first holiday you've had if you if you lost somebody six months ago. This you know this oh they'd be sitting here and this is what we'd be doing and yeah a lot of memories there. Absolutely, and many people are feeling financial difficulties. And I think um, more today than a number of years ago. I hear a lot about that in my psychotherapy practice. So if you're not doing well financially, given the pressure to, or the sense of pressure to buy gifts and to give people things at the holiday time, or just to do a big holiday bash or something, people don't have necessarily the money to do it. And that makes them feel very sad. I mean, and it doesn't end, does it? Because the marketers keep pushing and keep pushing. This holiday is a lot of it, like you were saying, too, just the pressure and the pressure to keep up with the Joneses and the desire to make your your kids happy and to get all the lights up. I mean, there's a lot that has to be done financially and just, uh, you know, just to get the lights up. Exactly. So if you see friends, colleagues, other family members in the midst of all of this, and you're not able to afford to do it, it's, it, it makes you very sad, especially if you're parents with children. Mm. Oh, yeah. You can't provide for them. Another factor is the loneliness that many people feel if they are not around loved ones or can't be during holiday time. If they're single, if they're elderly, if they're not well, if for whatever reason they feel alone or are alone, that sense of loneliness is only heightened during the holidays, which we think of as a time for forget for uh, togetherness mm. with friends and family. Yeah. I mean, kids away at school. I mean, I, yeah, it's, it's a hard time. Absolutely. And another factor, of course, is uh, the change in the sun's rays. When it, we go from summer to winter, there's actually a change in the sun's rays. We don't take in as much sunlight, and that really leads to a disorder called seasonal affective disorder from which many people suffer. 
and that's real. I mean, I've seen that like just take people over. Come late October, November, they just start becoming more depressed. They become a different person. That's absolutely right. It it really affects many people. Now, the statistics show that about 10% of people in our country suffer from seasonal affective disorder. But as with so many things, it's very, very hard to measure this. Unfortunately, there is no way to measure the, quote, holiday blues. And in fact, it's not a clinical disorder, but it's a term we've come to use because we recognize that that for this host of reasons we've just discussed and others, people don't feel as good this time of year very often. Right. Well, and it's... I mean, and it, I mean, sometimes it's situational, right? If we've lost a loved one this year, or you know, financially we're in a deeper hole this year. But there are some people that are kind of chronically suffer through, and just don't like holidays. And that it seems like to me, we'd want to take more seriously. Oh, absolutely! I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, I find even folks who will report enjoying the holidays on one hand, also feel sad over the holidays. So if you take people who feel sad to begin with and throw them into holiday season, uh, it, it can be very bad for them. Right. Yeah, And um, the, the hard part is that then there's other people around that just seem like so – you know, immune from any sadness at this time of year. They just, they're so pumped up. They love it. And then you maybe start wondering, what's wrong with me? Why can't I even be positive? Why do I want to wring Santa's neck? Exactly. And seeing all these happy or seemingly happy people around us just can drive us uh, further into a, a feeling of sadness or depression uh, because by comparison, we don't think we're feeling the right way. Right. And that's one of the things I guess we are so known for as human beings, right, is just this comparative mentality. How am I in relation to everyone else? What gifts am I buying this year compared to everyone else? So a lot of this, it seems like, just might be the the comparison. Oh, absolutely. And you're so right. This is human's tendency to compare themselves to others and it's one of the major causes, I find, of people's unhappiness and in, in general in life, but certainly over the holidays, that comparison is what often drives people deeper into a sense of unhappiness or sadness or just feeling blue. Now, Maude, do you uh, see people that specifically in your practice uh, there in Darien, Connecticut, do you see them bringing up these issues a lot? Yes. Very definitely. And I would say starting often at the end of October or early yeah. November and maybe that. even earlier because they're already anticipating family gatherings or that uh, company holiday party where maybe they don't have a date to bring. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe because there's some dissension in their family, they're already worrying about getting together with family or sad because they won't be getting together with family. So I hear it all. Also, folks going through a divorce, um, Mm. which unfortunately happens all too often in our society, this causes a great deal of sadness around holiday time. And children having to split the holiday between uh, two parents 
it's a very it can be a very painful time. Oh, totally. Um, I mean, I remember that was one of the only times I remember my parents being together was on Christmas morning. My dad would come over, my mom would be there, his mother would come, and they'd celebrate with us. And it was really, it seems like, two parents doing whatever they could to keep the children's life as healthy as you can, but that's not possible for everyone. Maud, let's take a break, and uh, we'll come back. I want to—I know you've got a huge list of solutions that might help uh, lift us out of the blues as well. Let's get to that when we come back. Maud Purcell is her name. If you go to her website, thelifesolutioncenter.net, you can get information about what she's doing, about her services there, and uh, other tools and, and information that will definitely help. Stick with us, folks. We're beating the holiday blues with Maud Purcell. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. I can't believe we're already playing Christmas music like this. Holy cow, the holidays are coming. Uh, First, you know, we'll be starting, obviously, with Thanksgiving, but that just means, you know, Black Friday and dark, crazy darkness Saturday and even deep depression Sunday. It's a shopping trifecta this weekend. No. Shouldn't be that bad. But we're talking about beating the holiday blues. There's so many reasons, so many different issues that are going on. A lot of our relationships, loss of people that have mattered to us, and uh, that gets, you know, magnified during the holiday season. So we've asked Maud Purcell to join us. She wrote uh, the article Beating the Holiday Blues on Psych Central and is walking us through uh, her her learnings on how to overcome some of these these sad or, or more difficult holidays um, and not just, you know, not just falling into the blues. So, Maude, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Matt. And you got a great Thanks. website there at thelifesolutioncenter.net, which is just a great way to contact you. Um, talk about what are some of the solutions? What can we do to manage the blues if, we're, if we notice we're falling into them? The great news is that there are many things we can do. There are some things we have control over, fortunately. Uh, The first thing I would say is just accepting and allowing oneself to feel sad. As crazy as that sounds, when we feel something and we fight that feeling, we actually make the feeling worse. Mm. On the other hand, if we will accept the fact that, okay, so I'm feeling a little bit sad at the holiday season, and that's okay because feelings just are. Right. And, we, you know, we don't have to judge ourselves about them, and they, they do eventually pass. But it's okay. so just accepting, first of all, that it's okay to feel sad, and along with that, realizing that so many people are experiencing the exact same feelings, but nobody wants to talk about it. Hmm. Because everyone tends to think that everyone else is feeling great, which is not true. So the, the very simplest thing is to begin to just tell yourself that it's, it, it doesn't feel good, but it's okay to feel that way. In other words, not judging yourself about it. Yeah. Well, wow. I mean, it, it, that's the idea is kind of normalizing it, right? Because the minute we that's think right. we're this extreme, you know, broken person, it just is going to, it's going to magnify the problem. That's exactly right. The next thing that we can do is actually to seek sunlight 
uh, number one, because part of the reason people tend to feel down at the holidays is that many people suffer from seasonal affective disorder, which is that depression that can come when the sun's rays change starting in the fall. The sun's rays become more indirect. So if we get some more sunshine during this time, even though up where I'm from in Connecticut, it, it, it gets pretty cold this time of year, yeah. that sunlight can help to lift our moods. And the other thing we can do to adjust our brain chemistry this time of year so that we feel better is exercise. And because exercise creates endorphins, which are, quote, feel-good brain hormones. But anyone who's an exerciser recognizes that they always feel much better after a workout. The problem is that when we're down to begin with, it's hard to find the motivation to get to the gym or get out for a run or whatever kind of exercise it is that you do. But when we can push ourselves past that, and get some exercise, we tend to feel much better. Yeah, so the, I mean, those are both chemicals, right? So the sun's going right. to provide the chemistry we need, the endorphins of getting out there. I mean, especially if you're somebody that, and you know you love getting outside, you know in the summer you're out there all the time just soaking up the sun rays, it should be pretty obvious to you that you're just lacking that sun or that activity. And uh, I mean, I guess you could go probably find the same drugs in a bottle. But it just might – maybe you just need to force yourself to get your coat on, go stick your face up to the sun and get as much as you can still. Maybe still go on walks outside or, I don't know, do whatever you can to get the chemistry flowing. Well, that's a good thing. You can you can create both of those uh, brain chemicals at once. You can kill two birds with one stone, so to speak, by going out in the sun and going for a walk, a run, um, you know, a good bike ride. Yeah. So, yeah, you can accomplish both of those at once. I couldn't agree more. That's great. Oh, yeah, it's fairly basic. Uh, what, what else can we do to kind of get the blues to go away? Well, one of the great things I recommend people do is that they create their own traditions. Let's say, for example, that you have uh, lost a loved one and you are very wedded to a certain tradition at the holidays or traditions that, of course, involve that loved one, and now they're gone, either through a divorce or a death uh, or the breakup of a relationship. So if you do the same old thing you've always done, the memory of them will loom very large. On the other hand, if you do something completely different, and it could be the smallest, craziest thing, like going bowling, or if you have, if you can afford it, going away on vacation, especially to a warm climate, go to the Caribbean. Hmm. Um, These things can help us to not miss that person or those people so much because we're not, we've created a new tradition that doesn't have old memories attached to it. No, that's, I love that. And it's also creating, especially if this is if it happens a lot, you know, this has gone on for years, then it's time to maybe create a whole new thought. Exactly. It's amazing what that can do for people. And it's when we're in pain, we don't think of these things. So it's much easier to speak to someone else like a psychotherapist who may have some tricks up their sleeves for, for this kind of thing. But creating a new tradition can be incredibly helpful. 
It, it seems uh, like that's the hard part is it, it's sometimes easier to just get inwardly focused and you just kind of keep imploding your thinking in and in and in instead of, you know, outward to your to your family, to everyone else. Which uh, really points to a couple of other things that I think are so important. One is not isolating yourself mm. during the holidays. Try to stay busy as much as you can and within reason uh, connect with friends, with other families, with other family members, so that you're not left alone to your, your thoughts. As I often say to people, if we all thought about half as much as we do, <laughs> we'd be happier people because a lot of our thinking when we think a lot, doesn't head us in a good direction. Yeah, yeah, and we don't end up acting on much of it. That's that's exactly right. A lot of it, frankly, is just uh, a bunch of bunk. Yeah, <laughs> it's not it's not helpful. Um, but also uh, another great thing that we can do in terms of getting outside of our own heads, which is what you mentioned or alluded to, is helping someone else. Hmm. I find that when we think about someone other than ourselves, we get out of our own heads. It can be such a gratifying thing for us to be giving someone something or to be spending time with them, to be volunteering at a soup kitchen or volunteering with anyone. It puts our own lives in perspective and helps us to realize that, first of all, many people have problems often and usually bigger than ours, and it gives us perspective about all of that. Oh, yeah. There's also a great feeling that comes from helping someone else. There's really nothing nothing like it in the world. And it's so tied to this time of year, this season, where I mean, this is that is probably the, the fastest way, I would think, to just connect to the season is get into the giving of it all. Oh, absolutely. There's no question about it. It's uh, That's really what makes the holidays special. And I have so many people who come in and say to me, you know, I felt better because I helped someone than I did, someone else than I did because of any gift I received. Yeah. And it's, it's just, it serves so many positive purposes, including getting us to stop thinking about ourselves. It also helps us to feel gratitude for what we have. And there's been a lot of research done into the area of gratitude. And when we feel gratitude, it's hard to feel um, sadness or fear or other negative emotions at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so what I often recommend people do, starting way before the holidays, is, is start a gratitude journal that they write in each day the things they write in the things that they're grateful for and they just add to that list and whenever they start to feel down take that list out and look at it and it really does lift your mood yeah it changes really you. serves as kind of antidepressant if you will yeah Maud Purcell we appreciate you these are great ideas basic tools aren't they but they make a difference and uh, we appreciate you happy holidays and uh, if anybody if you want more information from Maud or her organization go to the life solution center dot net Maud is the founder and executive director of the life solution center of Darien Connecticut it's a one-of-a-kind consortium of independent businesses and practices designed to treat the whole person 
which really we need. We need to be focusing on all aspects of our human life. So we appreciate Mod. We'll take a break, my friends. When we come back, we'll be uh, going to our good buddies down there at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Just bringing it down a notch. So you can just kick back. We're going to shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Today it's going to be Spencer Linton, of course, and Jerem Jordan, the duo. They're back together. Hello, gentlemen. Happy Monday, Matthew. Happy Monday to you, and a happy short week. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. It's going to be a short week, man. We be gentlemen. <laughs> Hey guys, uh, BYU at Fresno State—they done one. It's nice to win by a lot. Oh, doesn't that feel good? Forty-two point victory for BYU mm. football. The previous high against an FBS opponent this season was seventeen. So for wow. BYU to do that, yeah, it was refreshing. Wrap up an undefeated season at home, and they did so with some style points, some really random, awesome plays—a reverse. To a tight end who throws a pass. What the? I know that was cool. That was awesome. That was great. Great throw. That's what you need, right? Yes. I mean, I felt bad for Fresno State in the middle of it all. And then I thought, whatever. Crush him. Crush him. Feel bad for Fresno State. Come on. Hey, uh, I hear Utah State's coming. Yes. Well, BYU's going to Utah. Yeah, now here's, yeah that's undefeated the deal. Undefeated in Logan, man. Uh, I know. And here's the deal. You may not know this. This is a sports stat that I wanted to give you. Utah State, Taysom Hill went down twice with leg, ankle problems, injuries, playing Utah State. 2012 and 14. I know. So it's their turn. I know. Tanner. Chucky Keaton just so happens to be probably the starting <gasps> quarterback on Saturday. Oh. Kent Myers, their new starter, because Chucky okay. Keaton was in, yeah. uh, had a shoulder injury and left the game. So Chucky <laughs> Keaton came in. This is crazy. 14 of 29, 109, and a pick, which is not good at all. No. I hope that, that the trend is they won't, broken. Though. I hope Chucky Keaton is not injured, but no. BYU is. Let's I keep, don't want anyone to get No one will be injured. If someone does, it should be them. Yeah. <laughs> it should be them, but there is one guy on their team that, that was the one that accidentally – Hurt Taysen two times. He's gone. He's gone. Okay. He's gone. Is he done? He's gone. Okay. Brian Sweet. Yeah, I was worried the about Eagles that. For a little Public while. enemy number one in BYU Sports Nation. Okay. Sheesh. Yeah, that LDS one. dude. I was telling Tanner, I was thinking Tanner needs to relax, maybe wear some ankle, uh, you know, armor. Ankle armor? I always wear, I always, I always under armor my ankles. I have very this sensitive this ankles. This is a Nike school. Okay. Oh, sorry. I always. That, that school up north is an under armor school. You always Nike your ankles? Oh, yeah. It keeps it keeps the bad spirits off my ankles. <laughs> and and you know, Brian Sweet. If, someday I'll show you guys my ankles. I have very delicate ankles. Uh, nope. It's like your personality. Very, it's very many much. many people's personality is tied into the way their ankles. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, you know, some have cankles. Rigid, big, robust personalities. Yeah. Fluid, Fluid, flexible. <laughs> Minor dainty ankles. Mm-hmm. I have positive. The, I have the ankles of a 70-year-old socialite, female, in high heels. I don't even know what that means. I don't either. But uh, 
They're very the thin. That's what my doctor told me once. Yeah, you've got very thin ankles. A 70-year-old socialite mm-hmm. in high heels. Mm-hmm. I always think of my grandmother. So Hillary Clinton? Oh, snap. Hey, you guys, you don't need to be Dick so Clinton rude. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> you guys. The Dukies. Oh. Hey, um, hey, you know what? I didn't understand until we got off the air last week. Uh, you guys were hearing someone in my studio coughing. Yes. And you kept saying cough. I thought you said cop. Don't you have a cop button? But I thought you were saying cop. Yeah. Because I wasn't no. hearing. I didn't hear the guy coughing. But we found out. Oh, was it not? Well, <laughs> we heard it. Maybe we we're hearing something. Uh, no, you were hearing you know, exactly right. It's Sean O'Neill. He has tuberculosis. We know Sean. No, he doesn't. We, okay. We know Sean. Yeah, it, it was Sean, it, it was, was Sean it? coughing. Was he running the board that day? Yeah, we had to let him go. Where was where was your? <laughs> d- didn't, don't you have? A, no, he wasn't uh, running the board. He was just in the room. Oh, he was just hanging out. Yeah, oh, he said oh, he likes. I have a cough. Yeah, the, let's go where we're live on the air. Out, a radio studio. I know, I know. Don took him aside, and it, let's just say it got ugly. <laughs> like <laughs> knowing Don Shaline, that was yeah. brutal. <laughs> it was brutal. Don Shaline's ankles are soft. Oh, by the way, so that guy's got a set of ankles. Yeah. Oh. Hey, uh, speaking of ankles, um, actually, no. Tangles. Here, here, here's, a, here's a test for you. I want to know if you guys are real men. Are you ready? Uh, apparently, in a, research, in a recent study from Con- Cornell University. Ever heard of it? They found out that men tend to eat a whopping 93% more pizza when they're eating or dining with a woman's, in a woman's presence than when they're just eating with a bunch of men. That's the most random stat I've ever heard in my life. When men are ch- chowing down with just dudes, they eat 1.44 slices fewer than when they're eating with women at the table, which means they believe Cause it, cause men they are trying to, to show off. And they don't want to speak as much. Oh, <laughs> but is, men, but men are eating five hundred percent more steak. Yeah. <laughs> that's disgusting. <laughs> Where did you find that? That's Ben. Oh, that's, that's Ben eating from, his yogurt. That's live from uh, the break room. Oh, that totally yeah. is. <laughs> We've mic'd up the break room. One of the students from internationals in there. Uh, Isn't that? By the I'm way, like, my wife can hear that from a square mile away. Does she, is she? Close your mouth while you chew. She's sensitive to that. See that there is downstairs. There's a condition. There's a condition about that. Just so you know, I'll talk to you later about it. Okay. Uh, guys actually eat 86% more leafy greens when women are around, too. Isn't that amazing? So if you you're doing lettuce. that, you're showing off. Do you off. really need to say leafy greens? Well, Could I don't know. what Leaves or greens? Well, no, but sometimes it's not even salad. Sometimes leafy you're just greens. at the park and they're eating leafy greens. It could be anywhere. Leafy greens. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, now you, know, now, you, now you know why you're showing off. You're, you're also gaining weight. Hey, babe, I'm going to eat four slices. Hey, tonight. babe, watch this. <laughs> I'm going to put salad on my pizza. I'm going to put leafy greens on my pizza. Hey, leafy greens. Are you, Why are you, the adjective? Are you guys still um, doing your show today? We are doing the show today. What are we going to talk about? I think we've gone through pretty much all of it, starting with Remington Peck's touchdown pass mm. to Taron Howe. He's cool. There's a bunch of random awesomeness in that game. Bronson Kafusi continues to just dominate yeah, he looks good for the Cougars. We have ESPN's Trevor Maddich on the show. What does he think about Bronson? What does he think about the chaos overall within college football? I mean, he watches it from a national standpoint at ESPN. And last weekend was bonkers. Oh, Ohio State? Yes. Oh. Led by Ohio State. Nine ranked teams lose, including numero uno. Oh, I know. 
And then their star drops a bomb in the locker room saying uh-huh. he doesn't trust his coaches and he's played his last game at home. I'm out of here. Just, this is crazy. Make can't make this stuff I up. I know, I know. See, at least BYU's got unity, cohesiveness, coziness. Looks like it. Eight and three. Not bad going into Utah State. And You know, how do the Cougars get ready for, for the Aggies? We'll go That's live cool. to practice, talk to one of the players. Good stuff. Make sure you Good. ask about protecting the ankles. Leafy greens, leafy greens, protecting ankles and Nike and the Nike uh, protection of bad spirits around the ankles. <laughs> okay, just okay. check it out. Okay, uh, Bronson, uh, how have the uh, <laughs> negative spirits been protected this week by <laughs> Nike? Uh, footwear? Yeah, that, I can hardly wait to hear that question. <laughs> <laughs> and then ask him how many leafy greens he eats before okay. a game. Okay, we'll guys, it's going to be a good show. I can tell. Knock them dead. We will try our best. Go get waxed up and ready to go. Woo! <laughs> That, that was a big yell right there from Jerem. Thanks, guys. Be good. That was Spencer. Oh, was that Spencer? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can't tell you guys apart once, you, once you're just getting waxed up. Okay. See you guys. Have a good one. Peace out. Oh, that's funny. They just make me laugh so hard. I hear music. Do you hear music? Hmm. Uh, interesting uh, little story we've got to tell you. Florida mayor tries to pay $4,000 in ethics fines with buckets of pennies. Apparently, he's really mad. He's ticked off. A Miami area mayor who is feuding with his local commission tried to use 360,000 pennies and nickels, that's 28 buckets full of coins, to pay a $4,000 ethics fine. Instead of accepting the change, the ethics commission doubled the fine. Oh, my heavens. For Hialeah Mayor Car- Carlos Hernandez saying he intentionally broke the rules because he knew the panel only accepted checks. I've lost a lot of respect for Florida people since I've started working here. Why? We love Florida people. I love them too. There's just, just there's just so many of them. That's why there's so many stories out of Florida. Yeah, but you never hear about Texas people or. I think Texas. They don't let the police departments talk as openly as the Florida police departments do. They have regulated news sources. Yeah. This this guy, this Miami commissioner, uh, the ethics uh, – he's basically – they're suing the ethics trust, they're calling. The Miami-Dade Commission on Ethics and Public Trust is suing the mayor. The commission ruled in July that Hernandez lied about interest rates on a $180,000 loan to a jewelry salesman who's now jailed for a pyramid scheme. El Nuevo Herald reports that Hernandez has called complaints against him a political circus and described commission members as clowns. Them is fighting words. So his fine, I guess, is now going to be $8,000, which, if you're counting, is going to be about 56 buckets full of coins. But if I were him, I'd, I'd quit doing the coin trick. You know, quit doing it. It just keeps getting him in more trouble. More and more trouble. And again, we just want to tip our hat as as uh, some car thieves out of Norfolk, Virginia. Two men hijacked a car. In the car was an eight-year-old kid. We've talked about it last hour. But they made sure that the kid got to school because they didn't want like a kidnapping charge. <whistles> Apparently they kept him overnight in the back. No. I pressed the wrong button. Yeah, you got over. Yeah. You got to focus. Always focus on the button when you're pushing it. Um, they they took the boy to school, dropped him off. Thank you. 
Thank you very much. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. That was for the car thieves. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you. Thank you very much. Anyway, so just, you know, appreciate. We're, we're thankful for the, the, uh, the hijackers that took the kid to school. They eventually found the car because the mom's cell phone was in it. And the mom now may be charged with leaving her child in the car while it's running. And, you know, what do you do? We also, as you know, like to end every show with a hero story. And who better to be our hero of the day than DeMarcus Cousins, who's the center for the Sacramento Kings? DeMarcus Cousins will take care of all the expenses for a murdered Sacramento teenager's funeral. The King Center DeMarcus Cousins will uh, basically going to cover all the funeral costs of murdered Sacramento high schooler um, uh, Jaulon, Jaulon Clavo, a varsity football player at Grant Union High School, was shot and killed Friday afternoon. Clavo was shot in the neck while driving a car with four teammates to pick up some food before a home game. The first-round playoff game uh, against Briar High School was postponed, according to the Sacramento Bee. Cousins, who occasionally attends local high school football and basketball games, reportedly including Grant Union's games, offered to pay for the services, a city council member announced Saturday. Cunningham reports that Cousins had hoped to keep his donation anonymous before the news leaked out at a candlelight vigil held in Clavo's memory on Saturday. Cousins has donated in the past, including last June when he gave $27,000 plus towards a purchase of an LED scoreboard for the Sacramento High School gym. And now uh, he's going to take care of the funeral arrangements. Holy cow, what a stud. DeMarcus Cousins, Center for the Sacramento Kings. You are the hero of the day, my friend, of the Matt Townsend Show. And I think it's just a great role model for all of us, you know. Some of us have the means. Some of us just care. Either way, any of us could step up and be heroes and uh, elevate the community, elevate the people that we're around by just putting our heart back in it. We appreciate you listening to the show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We can't do it without you. We'll be back again tomorrow with more ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world. Until tomorrow, my friends, uh, take care of each other. Watch out for one another and make it a great one. We'll be back again tomorrow. Take care.